When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter, follow us at opinionline96, hashtag is OL96. And of course, you can contact us wherever you are, whenever you want. The Corks 96FM Facebook page. Just address your messages for the attention of the opinion line. Coming up later today, I was mentioning yesterday this doctor from Cork, Dr. Paul O'Brien, who is currently doing hotel quarantine in Shanghai. And I wanted to catch up with him to find out what that's actually like. So we'll do that uh, throughout the course of the morning. Also, news in the newspapers this morning about vaccines. Look, we have piles of news about vaccines, hundreds of them in testing, nine of them in advanced testing at this stage. And the possibility of having one available for circulation, possibly end of this year, start of next year. But there's a story in the papers this morning that says, look, realistically, it'll be 2022 before you and me and the man on the wall or the man in the street will be able to get them get, get them into our arms. It'll be a, a, a while yet. Uh, even if they had a perfect one ready tomorrow, it'll be a while before any of us can get it freely and easily. That's coming up uh, later this morning. Also, there's a new testing centre has opened on the South Douglas Road there at the back of St. Finbar's Hospital near the old mortuary in the disused car park. Uh, we'll be catching up with some locals who aren't too happy about that. And don't worry, there'll be non-COVID stuff in there too. But I want to go first to Irene. Irene is a makeup artist uh, and a photographer. Um, and, 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 and Irene, you've started a petition to be allowed to uh, ply your trade, as it were, at weddings during Level 5. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, I'm not a makeup artist. <laughs> I haven't a clue. I'm actually a wedding photographer. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> my, my mistake. My So the obvious is, why is a photographer um, setting up a petition for, for, um, for makeup artists? Well, first of all, a lot of those girls and boys are friends of mine. And second of all, like if they can't do their job, then we probably won't be able to do ours either. You know, they like it has a, a major knock-on effect. And before I just go on, I just want to say that it's not about vanity; it's about people's jobs and livelihoods that I'm talking about. Okay. You know, 
Going through the, the present level five restrictions, yeah. um, the guests are limited to 25, which is not including the bride and groom and essential no. staff. No. Uh, guests can travel to attend the wedding. They can. Guest, guests can stay, but only guests. Yeah. Um, the cake is permitted, photographer permitted, no live music and no, no. dancing. Uh, no. And the novelty novelty acts are not permitted, so you can't have a magician or you can't have no. anything like that. But no. hair and makeup also not permitted. What do you mean in any setting? Is that anywhere on the venue? Nowhere. They're not allowed at all. They're not, like, they're deemed non-essential on a wedding day, which I can't really understand. So a bride can't get her hair done on the day of her no. wedding anywhere? No. Sure, hair just as our clothes. The hotel won't allow it. Mm. It's not permitted in the house, you know, so... And no makeup either? No makeup either, no, no. So, like, you're going to spend a fortune on a dress and you have to, it's up to yourself then to do your own hair and makeup and stuff yeah. like that. But, I like, suppose the my hell point tell- isn't even like that. My yeah. point is, like, that the girls and the boys of the makeup and hair industry, like, they're after spending a fortune on PPE gear buying new electrical equipment, like hair straighteners, ones, everything, you know, and just for their livelihood now to go out like a light switch, yeah, you cause, know. Because weddings, in fairness, that's that's where makeup artists in general, a lot of them anyway, make um, the bulk of their money. That would be like, you know, they could be out three times a week, four times a week, you know. This is what all, some people do is just hairstylists and makeup for weddings, mm-hmm. you know. Like, that's all we do. Like, our, we only do wedding photography, you know what I mean? So, like, their business is around 100% weddings. Like, and I mean, and they're not asking for a lot, really. They don't even want to, like, all they want is to help the bride look and feel their best on their wedding day. Like, they're looking for an hour with the bride in their in a separate room away from everybody else. And when the bride is done, they'll just leave. They, they won't even do the bridal party, mm-hmm. you know? I just feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for the boys. Like, you'd accept, they, wouldn't you, that there's a hands-on risk involved here? Of course there is. Like, I mean, should there's a risk involved? Like, I understand that. But, like, there has been no, like, cases from weddings. Zero. You know? So, like, I really can't understand why they said no hair and makeup. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense at all to me, you know? What's the reaction among brides-to-be? I mean, they're horrified. Like, I mean, they're stressed stressed out enough as it is. And we were only trying to, like, we were only getting back on track with brides going ahead with weddings because they know that it's going to be 25 people from now till Christmas. So at least they won't have six. It's not the question of, am I going to have 50? Am I going to have six? They know now it's 25. So a lot of a lot of brides now are actually st- going ahead with their wedding. But, like, it's like saying, you can have, I'd love a bag of chips and curry, but you go to the chipper and you can have the chips but no curry. You know, it's like giving them one thing and taking away another thing. You know what I mean? It's I don't think it's on, like, you know. Yeah. Like, who's to say we're not next? You know, because we could be hands-on as well. Like, it's, there's not even a mention of videographers on the list. So, like, they, they don't do even they exist. Do they not come under the same <laughs> banner as yourselves? But they would, like, but we're diff- totally different. Like, photographers and videographers, totally different things altogether, you know? So, I don't know. I just think it's just they're mm. they're just making up the rules as they go along, and mm. it just needs to stop, like because they're de- they're dealing with people's livelihoods, you know, and like people have to go back on the COVID now and stuff like that because of this, like yeah. which is 
what we're trying to avoid. Like, and I understand that there's a pandemic going on and, like, we need to be safe and, you know, the numbers are going up and up. We're totally aware of that. But, like, where's the proof that it can't be done in a safe environment, you know? There was like, there was a story in the papers in the last day or two, I think, of a uh, a, a couple who travelled to a wedding and across the border, right? And they ended up being several cases out of that wedding. Yeah, like that's going to happen. I'm I'm talking about professional suppliers, wedding yeah. suppliers. Yeah. You know, like if we like had any inkling like that we were sick, like we would not turn up, obviously, to the wedding. You're mm-hmm. dealing with professionals. You're not dealing with know. amateurs. But you you're know? also dealing with with a, a, a disease, Irene. Oh yeah, that yeah, in, I in a huge that. percentage of people you won't even know you've got it. Of course, I know. Yeah, I understand that completely. And safety is paramount, no matter where you are. Yeah. But I just think that, like, when we reopen again in a couple of weeks' time, and everyone can open, and the hairdressers can open, like, even in a couple of weeks, why can't hair and makeup services? be back being permitted again. We don't know that like, you know. Your fear is that, that even if we come out of this in six weeks time or five that weeks is, yeah. five weeks today we're supposed to be out of it. Yeah. You're, you're worried that this ban will remain in place? Yeah, like who's to say it won't, you know? Yeah. I just, like, because this is going from now till Christmas, it's 25 guests. Yeah. So they're not, it's not going to go above 25, you know? Yeah. But I don't know, I just think it's just it's getting ridiculous now with the things that they're picking. Yeah, like, well, out, things like the, the, the candy carts that got pos- that got popular, they're banned as well. Uh, there's no disco, there's no there's no band. It's, but it, like, I know like about no band and everything and like everyone loves the great sing song at a wedding and dancing at a wedding and things. But like, It's all over at saying, 11 o'clock. Mm. Yeah, like, but I mean, people have done it. Like, we've done weddings in the last couple of weeks and it's over at 11. Like, mm. our brides and rooms are after having a ball. You yeah. know, like should they're with, they're with the photographer most of the day anyway. Like we do our best to make sure that they have a great day. You know, like there is a serious element of the day, obviously, but there's also a fun side of it. You know, yeah. and we try to make sure that like they have great fun with us and they have a day they won't forget, really. But yeah. like my point is, like all these girls and boys now, like the hairstylists and makeup artists, they're all out of jobs now. You know, and then we have a stressed bride. We we're going to arrive to the house in the morning of a wedding. And we're going to have a braid trying to do our own hair and makeup. Are you allowed into someone's house? Yeah. Oh, you are? Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, didn't well, know that. Yeah, you know? So, like, and any before this, any hair and makeup has been done, like, in a separate room. Yeah. Like, the makeup artist is in one room. Like, the hairstylist is in another room. Yeah. Like, they're not interacting, really. Like, before, we yeah. would be everywhere, you know? Because I'm thinking of a bride... And it's not an untypical situation where either a sister or a best friend or a first cousin or someone like that is either a hairdresser or a makeup artist. They can't come in and do it either. No. No. You're wondering, and I'm not making light of it, guards turning up in in the car parks of hotels (laughs) to see if the bride got makeup on. I know, come on, like, it's just who's going to police it anyway? Like, I know now or whatever, but... It's just ridiculous, you know, and like a lot, like I was on another radio show this morning and people were sending feedback saying like it's vanity and it's like, it's not, it's, you're crying over pennies closing and stuff like that. Like it's not that at all. But, but, but people, you, you see, know? I mean, people will do that because they will say there are people 
fighting for their life in intensive care. I understand that. F- yeah, five I more understand. people were announced dead yesterday. You know, we're back into lockdown because the damn thing is out of control. I know. And people are worried about face paint and, and, and powder. Like, there is that comparison going on. There is, of course. And brides are worried about their hair and their makeup. But, like, I'm talking about people's businesses and people's livelihoods, yeah. you know, and, and, like, people's mental health if they can't go to work, they're at home all the time. You know what I mean? It's Like, I understand that. And, like, I mean, what's important to you yeah. mightn't be important to somebody else. But True. It's really and important I guess the difference you, between the bands know? and the musicians here, and look, I've talked to the bands and musicians, and I've. I've, I've been very supportive of them I suppose because I've yeah. worked with a lot of them they get people dancing and interacting on a personal basis Yeah, with you guys it's 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 one to one yeah it is it is one to one like it is yeah. you know but like again like you just have to be careful you know we are like I was very nervous and we we went back to work Yeah, like I was so nervous going back to work like because my son has asthma right like and I kept him out of school for the first three weeks right because I, I didn't feel it was safe for him to go to school, you know? Mm. So I just send him back now and he's grand and he's having a ball. But um, I just think that, like, it's just a poor decision by yeah. the government. There's another in thought in, as well, in this as well that, you know, brides, they spend a fortune on the dress. Sometimes I wonder, would you change the car for as much money as people <laughs> spend on a wedding dress? And look, the dinner jackets ain't, ain't, ain't cheap either. But, but particularly the dresses, like you, you kind of do have to do the face and, and, and do on. the hair because you look like a big pale meringue with <laughs> no eyes. you do. Yeah. Like, of course, like if you're spending a fortune on the dress, what's the point? Yeah, like, I get that. And looking like the way you do every day. You know, like you want to look different, you know, and like we're not missing the point. Marriage is about two people like in love and they want to get married. Of course, I understand that I married myself, but like it's about the bride wanting to look her best for her groom. And like, I I don't see anything wrong with that. No, I wonder is there, there, again, I'm being a bit cheeky, I suppose. Is there a bit of a sideline in it for a photographer, a bit of Photoshop to tighten? No, no. If you have a good makeup artist then you don't need any photos. No, what I'm saying is if you have, if you can't have the makeup artists. Oh, right, yeah. No, no, I, like, no, every bride will look good anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. with the makeup artist, she knows like that she might have to go a little bit darker on the skin tone, I suppose, yeah. like, and all this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Some, like, they know their craft, you're paying them for a reason, uh, yeah. you know? Something else as well, with regard to the dresses, you know, on, on occasions you'll find that a running repair has to be done. Um, yeah. Can that be done on the day? Because the dress shops are all closed. Dressmakers yeah, like, are all... I mean, yeah, like the, I'd say most of the bridal shops now, I'd say, are like helping people behind the scenes. Like Diamond Bridal is brilliant. Like we've often had a veil dropped off and everything, you yeah, know, yeah. that kind of way. Like the girls inside there are fabulous and yeah. Grace, like she, she knows, you know, like she would be on to the, the bride before she gets married and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you know, so to make sure everything was all right. So I'd say behind the scenes, there would be a lot going on as well. Yeah. You know, just because somewhere is closed doesn't mean to say that you can't contact them for anything. Yeah, you know, know, that kind of a way. We have a WhatsApp message here. For God's sake, I did oh. my own makeup, my mother's and my sister's for my wedding. People should get a grip. Yeah, but like I said, what's imp- that, this is not important to that person. What's not important to her could be important to somebody else. Who's to say that, like, because I wanted to get my hair and makeup done for my wedding, yeah. that that makes me a bad person? 
or no. because I'm vain, ah, you no, know, because no, I no, want no, to look no, good, no, you know? No, nobody's saying that. Is it easy for someone? It's not. I mean, is it automatic for someone who is has had to put this on pause for the six weeks now? Will they automatically get the PUP? I don't know. Like, I mean, it's reduced, like, to 200 euros. So you better hope that you, as but a self employed person. It's that, back up if you were making 400 a week. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you were making a fortune, like, a couple of years ago, then you're going to get the, the big amount, you know? But, like,. Yeah. I don't know, the PUP, it's good in one way, but it's not for others, like, yeah. you know. So you've started this petition, and yeah. who are hoping to collect how many names? As many as I could possibly have. And who you know? do you intend to give the petition to? Uh, Leo Vradkar. Okay. Yeah, sure, he's the, the business. Business, the, yeah. Business minister. Employment. Yeah, he yeah. is, yeah. So, like, he should. Like, I mean, I know, like, I've only 623 signatures so far. But I hope to generate more. And even if I don't have more, I'll still put it towards them. Okay. Okay. I say, Leo, what's the story like? <laughs> you know what? And it's 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 easy for some people, I guess. It's easy for some people to sit back and roll the eyes and go, Oh, sweet oh, yeah, Lord. Sir. I know. But yeah. they're not you know, if you're getting married, it's a big worry for you. If of you're in the it business, is. it's a big worry for you. Of course it is. And that's my whole point, like it's about the livelihood, you know, and it's it, it's it's about having a job, you know, at the end of the day. Okay. You know. All right, Irene, leave it there and we'll see what people think. Thanks for that. That's Irene Terry. Sorry, I, I thought at the start of it that she was actually a makeup artist herself. She's not a, she's a photographer, but makeup of any kind is now not permitted makeup work on the day. You can't get it done in the back kitchen. You can't get it done in your auntie's house. You can't get it done in the hotel. And obviously your, your makeup artist can't come to the house so unless you can do it yourself or, or your sister who lives with you happens to be a makeup artist, but even that is being frowned upon now. So that's the petition she's set up. She wants makeup artists and hairstylists as well listed as essential workers with regard to weddings. What do you think? 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Unexpected spot or pimple? No problem, you're covered. Lip sync to your favourite songs without anyone ever noticing. And say goodbye to chapped lips caused by cold winter winds. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. And look, I know that some people are going to ah, pissy about them, the poor darlings, but it's not. It's not the brides we're worried about here. Well, it is, I suppose. It's the people, hairdressers who are out of work, makeup artists who are out of work, petitions who are out of work at the, at, at the moment. There's, and their biggest market, their biggest driver of, of, of income is weddings. So they're, they're, not only are their shops closed, but their little byline where they would go out and make money at a wedding, that's closed as well. And that's what Irene is concerned about because it's not exactly a level playing field if you have, you know, the the cake and the baker is allowed, the photographer is allowed, the guests can travel more than the five kilometres to go 
and you can have 25. You know, it's, it's, it's not exactly a level playing pitch. 1850-715-996. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Dr. Mike Thompson, who had opened a drive-through flu vaccination clinic in East Cork. It was a cracking idea. And it ran for one week or so. And unfortunately, they've had to, to wind it up. They issued a statement saying it's with sincere regret, disappointment and considerable frustration that we're cancelling all future bookings for the drive through vaccination clinic. It was a marvellous idea. Why have you had to wind it up, Mike? Good morning. Thanks, Peter. Uh, as we said in the statement, you can't run a vaccine clinic without vaccines. Um, and I think just, you know, 2020 just keeps on giving. Um, there are shortages, or I suppose delays in getting the flu vaccine from, from, from France, the makers of the vaccine, or Sanofi Pasteur. We have ordered the vaccines. They are coming in, albeit very slowly, irregularly. And to run a large dry-scale clinic like that, you need large numbers of vaccines. So we've reverted back to what we do, and all my other colleagues, I suppose, typically do. We kind of run maybe smaller-scale walk-through ones. We're going to run opportunistic clinics. But you do need scale and efficiency and maybe a bit more buy-in from the HSC to run a large clinic like we had we had started, I suppose. How serious is the availability issue? Um, so this year, I suppose the demand has been staggering. Um, there's, there's people who've never taken it or presenting for it or asking to go on our waiting list. Um, I suppose with a sense of uncertainty about there, this is something that people can feel they can, can take control over. So protecting themselves from influenza is something that they're actively seeking. The problem, PJ, is that with the numbers we're getting of supplies, and, and I think this is an international problem, it's not particularly anyone's fault, is the numbers of the vaccines are coming in just very small. It's it's normally around now we'd like to be winding up our flus. We'd like to have them all done, uh, preparing for the onslaught of winter. Unfortunately, this year, we will keep getting deliveries. We would ask people to ring their GP once, perhaps only, to go on a waiting list. And we should be able to work through that list over the winter. Yeah. We are being asked to prioritise, of course. So in a normal season, I suppose anyone who would like one would be facilitated. This year, we have an eligibility programme from the HSC, so we must stick to that. Um, so what we're being asked now at the moment, I suppose, is to concentrate on those over 65 and those who are direct patient-facing healthcare workers. Mm. Once we have that cohort done, we'd be asked to move down then to people who have you know, long-term chronic illness and pregnant women. And PJ, I'd definitely like to say that there is no shortage of supply with the children's flu vaccine, okay. the, the, the nasal spray. So I would, I would encourage people to get that. This may they be a terribly stupid Australia. question, Mike, but is that effective yeah. at all in an adult? Nope. No. Nope. Okay. So, great idea. And PJ, what they're seeing in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia is that with the social measures, the masks, the hand hygiene, and vaccinating a large population of kids, in fairness, they have seen a much, much, much reduced flu uh, outbreak. So we're hoping that we can replicate that in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but we would still like not people to panic, not to not, not to keep, I suppose, ringing their GP. Ring once, go on a list. Yeah. All our colleagues are facilitating that. Um, and I do think we will get there. I think that those maybe non-eligible may have to forego vaccination this year. Yeah. And, and I suppose there's a particular population there that I feel 
you know, maybe might deserve to be it, and it's yeah. guards, teachers, and SNAs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Funny, funny, you know, I was thinking myself personally a couple of weeks ago, I was saying to myself, you know, I never had it before. I have fairly robust health, thankfully. I had never had it before. And I was thinking, you know, because of what I've been reading about it and what, I, you know, we have to protect us, I was thinking of getting one. And now I'm kind of saying, you know what, there's probably someone needs it more than me. So I'll step back a bit. But But you can understand why people would say, you know what, I've never done it before. I might want it this time. Yeah, PJ. The misery of flu, as you said, a robust person like yourself, even the socioeconomic impact, then you have the risk of spreading it on to other people, I suppose, which is a big... That's why a lot of carers are entitled to get it. Um, so I would still... I would still, I do think we'll get there. Yeah. Um, just, I suppose, be patient. Be patient, The flu yeah. season is, you know, it's late November to maybe early spring, so we still have a good bit of time. Um all GPs are open, you know, and I, I think that's another message I'd like to say to you today. You know, we're probably seeing another increase in it, but your GPs are open, okay? Mm-hmm. Please just, just contact us. And it's not just for the flu stuff. It's for chronic disease, pregnancy, mental health, childhood vaccinations, red flag symptoms. Do please contact us. You know, um, okay, it's a pity because it yeah. was a great idea, and like you said, it could also have been. I think when we talked previously, it could be a, a template for when we do eventually get the COVID vaccine. Yeah, I suppose the one thing with the flu, PJ, is it's it's we know we've sixty years of safety data on it. We know how long it lasts. We know you need one dose. Um, you know, we just need to temper the COVID vaccine thing. We don't know when it is, how many doses you need, how long it'll last. Yeah, what's the safety data? I think that's a huge national HSE-led campaign. But we showed that you can do 60 cars an hour with with, with one spot. Yeah. And if you could replicate that, you would get, you know, you'd get the COVID vaccine rolled out very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think people were very happy. I think it was convenient. It was safe. It was efficient. Um, the feedback was great. It's a pity, you know, and yeah. I do apologize to people. There's 1,600 people we had to cancel last night and today now who were booked in. Or sorry, sixteen hundred cars, PJ. I suppose, um, and it could be two people in a car. Have, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know. So there's more than that. So they'll now have to, you know, contact their pharmacist, contact their GP, go on a waiting list. And I suppose it is something that, you know, GP appointments are quite precious, certainly this time of the year. Mm. And it was a, a good way to preserve those a little bit. Mike, did someone screw up here, or is it just supply and demand? Supply and demand, PJ. In fairness, you like the HSE have been very helpful. Okay, um, they've ordered. 1.35 million adult vaccines. I think they ordered a million last year and they weren't all given. And, you know, when you're when you're hedging, when you're buying back, you know, six months ago, I don't think anyone foresaw where we'd be. So yeah. it would be very easy, I suppose, to blame someone. I, I just think where we are, supply is lessened, demand is increased. Um, I do think we'll get there. Okay. All right, Mike. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Dr. Mike Thompson. He's had to close the vaccination drive through clinic in East Cork because of a shortage of vaccines. 1850-715-996. On weddings and makeup and hair, this caller completely agrees with Irene. I'd be useless at hair and makeup myself. It would mean cancelling my wedding if I couldn't be at my best on the day. All we'll have are the photos after and we want to look our best. Uh, but Kathleen says, I'm sorry now. You know when someone starts a message, I'm sorry, no. But hairdressers and beauticians are not essential workers. And if you open one 
sector of the economy this way, you'll have to open up everything again. 1850 We got a couple of emails in the last day or two about the development of a new COVID testing centre. Now, if you know where this is, you know where it is. It's it's that the it's on the South Douglas Road at the back of Finbar's Hospital. There's an old, you know the house on South Douglas Road with all the lovely flowers on it? The flower house. Everyone talks about it and takes pictures of it. Directly opposite that house, there is an old car park. And the COVID testing centre has gone in there in, in recent days. Uh, I'm writing this, says an email, as I'd like to get people's opinion about the new COVID-19 test centre on the South Douglas Road in the St Finbar's staff car park. I've seen two situations quite alarming. Firstly, there's walk-in and there's drive-through. The pedestrians are queuing on the footpath where public are walking by. A lot of these people walking past don't know if it's a testing centre and there's a risk of exposure. The second concern is that the 206 and the 219 buses have stops on either side of the road opposite the test centre and two people have been seen getting off and getting on the buses after being tested. I saw three young men standing on the footpath smoking with a mask down around their necks after being tested. Again, the general public passing these people unaware they'd just been tested. As a former nurse, I think the setup is dangerous. I chatted with one of the people at the centre. Their reply was, they're not our responsibility after they leave. Can you bring this up? As I think it's a real public concern. Uh, signed, concerned citizen who says they're a former nurse. We also heard from Emma, who lives in that general area. Hi, Emma. Good morning. Hey, how are you, PJ? Not too bad. You have some concerns too? I did. Initially last week, it kind of seemed to have gone up almost overnight. Um, It looked like they were just kind of resurfacing the car park. And then the next morning they had these kind of, it would almost remind you of, do you remember that TV show, MASH? Yeah, the army The the green bunkers. Yeah, it looked like that. They are supplied by the army, um, The signs went up then for COVID testing sites. So initially we were kind of a little bit, you know, like, oh God, because... um, I know I've been to the test centre in the old Mallow Road when the, my little girl went back to school. Um, she had to get tested because they all came down with coughs and sniffles and that. And in the old Mallow Road test centre, you know, it's in an industrial estate and the queue was quite long, but it was inside the estate. So our concern was that, coupled with all the traffic from the schools, like we're smack bang in the middle of a ton of schools here and the mornings and the collection times are bedlam. Yeah. Christ King so is only just, two minutes walk from there. Oh, and like... The kids there, they're dropped parents for that school pull-off like on the ramp down to the South City Lincoln. Kids are walking up around the blind corner like it's bedlam. Yeah. So we were just concerned that it was going to get even worse because there's been a few mornings now where I've actually been trapped inside my estate trying to get out with the school drop-off. So, um, And initially, some we've got a lot of older um, residents around here. You know, it's kind of an older part of the city, so there's a lot of grandparents, grand, great-grandparents living around here. And they wouldn't be on social media or kind of really, you know, as in the know. You know, they're only going by the news. Um so they were just concerned about, like, can I even go for my walk now down the road? Like, am I, you know, I'm in a, a high-risk age group. Am I going to be exposed? So yeah. initially we had a lot of kind of concern about that and the fact that there was no kind of, you know, a heads up just mm. to look the residential area just to let you know this is going to be going in, but this is what we've put in place. Everything's going to be fine. I, I must say, knowing the area as well as I do, I had seen work lights on it. I was driving past there and I, like like you, I thought they were resurfacing or doing up the car park yeah. or something and doing it at night to avoid affecting traffic, which wasn't a bad idea, doing it under arc light. But it's a testing centre. They're literally on the side of the road. Yeah, that's it. Now, as I said, initially we were kind of like, oh God, but 
I suppose it's midterm now, and with level five, we haven't been out and about as much. Um, but there's been no queue. Like I even said to my husband, it was last night. I was like, "Are they? Are, is it actually open? Are they actually using it?" But you would see the odd person now in the white kind of hazmat-like suit. But I've never seen a queue. I've seen one or two cars kind of like at the entrance going in. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any walking queue. I haven't seen a sign for a walking queue now. Like that person that emailed in said. Not to say that it's not there, but I haven't noticed it when I walked past right. or driven past. Right. Um, but like you, I wasn't even aware that it was actually functioning. You know, so look, thankfully there's been no disruption to traffic as far as I can see. Now schools mm. go back next week and whether they get more people in, but it seems to be fairly well run now mm. to the point where they're not causing congestion do and you, it doesn't seem to be any. Do you know what it, what it strikes me, Emma? And this is one that might not have occurred to you, but be, the very nature of of what we are as people, it's an awful position because people will just wander in for a gander. Do you think? I, I, I know. Okay. I think people will wander <laughs> you'd, in. You'd hope that people, that, well, there's, I know there's security guards now on both sides you can see, so you'd, you'd hope that they'd kind of like check for an appointment. Um, but, like, I I suppose we were just concerned that some of our elderly neighbours were concerned about, you know, it was like level five cases over a thousand a day and all of a sudden this new test centre pops up, so I think people were kind of like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah. So um, I, I think it would have been good if the HSE just, you know, they can print pamphlets at the drop of the hat, just throwing in a few in the letterboxes. They can the send residents. statements to people like me, you know. <laughs> yeah, just like just a public, you know, PSA, you know, by the way, yeah. this is going in, but, you know, we have these measures in place. Nobody's going to be an ex- any extra risk, you know, where we're, we have it, you know, pretty well, well organised, which, which they do see. We've, got a, statement, fairness, we've just, got a statement from them, which I'll, which I'll read in, in just a moment. But uh, listen, appreciate that, Emma. Hopefully when people do go back to school next week, it won't cause carnage there in the morning between testing times and people trying to get to and from school. Thank you, Emma. 1850-715-996. Oh, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not, it just occurred to me here. And also, at the end of that park, or that car park, there's some residential houses. There's houses right across the road from it. It's a residential area. This is a car park right slap bang in the middle of a residential area. And please don't be trying to tell me that no one's going to go for a gop or a sconce or a gander in there to see what's going on. They will, like. But we anyway, we, we did send a, a query to uh, HSE. And the response comes back from Cork Kerry Community Healthcare, and it is as follows. Cork Kerry Community Healthcare put in place an additional pop-up test centre on the South Douglas Road to meet the rising number of referrals for COVID-19 tests in the region. We can confirm that most people arrive for their appointment by car, and there have not been queues at this test centre of either cars or people awaiting appointments. The site was chosen after discussion with many stakeholders, including the Interagency Emergency Management Group for the region. As with all test centres, anyone referred for a test is required to follow all public health measures, including social distancing or not travelling by taxi or public transport or wearing a face covering throughout the test appointment, including while travelling to and from the centre. All those referred to the centre received a timed appointment This is so there are not queues of people either in cars or on foot waiting for their appointment. A robust traffic management plan is in place for the test centre and this plan was developed in consultation with Corksley Council and Angartha Sihana. Again, we wish to stress there have been no incidences of people congregating outside the centre while waiting for appointments. That's the response to our query that came in from the Cork Kerry Community Healthcare Department. There was another one inside Finbars. 
inside St. Finbar's Hospital, when you go back to the back of the hospital, down past the blood bank and down there to what used to be the old maternity, they had put in a testing centre there. The question I was, has that testing centre now been moved out onto the road or is the one out on the road a new centre? And that's just me being curious. That's apropos of nothing, really. 1850-715-996. Just on the subject of, of tests, I guess, uh, just looking at the cases in Cork. Now, uh, the cases I have up to October 26th, which was Monday evening. Uh, so the 14-day incidence in Cork up to Monday evening was 1,790 which is 358 per 100K. Up to October the 12th, the 14-day figure was 1,789. So that's going back two weeks. So that's pretty much consistent over the four weeks. Now, Dr. Holohan at the press conference yesterday was focusing on this thing called the five-day average, which moves faster than the 14-day figure. The 14-day figure is very accurate, but the five-day average moves a bit faster and gives you a bit of a gauge. So I looked at that, and the five-day average for Cork for the 26th of October, which was Monday, was 527, which was 105 cases per day. The five-day average for the 12th of October, two weeks previous to that, was 581, which was 116 cases per day. So you could say a slight drop in the five-day average the 14-day average, very constant across those last couple of weeks. The five-day average in Cork, a slight drop over the last couple of weeks. And I do a few more comparisons as we go through it. Dr. Holden was saying last night, don't, let, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. But certainly we need to keep doing what we're doing. 1850-715-996. Let us check out the vaccine story, though. Next. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696 96 96 96 96 96 96 96 96 update after the news at 10 o'clock because there's quite a bit in it and I'd like a few minutes to talk to Professor Kingston Mills who we've had on the show before to see where we're going with vaccine. The story in the newspapers this morning is that there may well be a vaccine ready to roll out in the next three to six months. It won't be available to Joe and Mary Soap until probably 2022. Come back to that after 10. But Brian Gould has been in touch with the show. It's been a while, Brian. Brian, you think that Professor, or sorry, that President Higgins should resign? Why? Good morning. Uh, well, I mean, he signed the modern baby scheme and he signed it in haste. I mean, there's a couple of things he could have done if he wished to have do, to this do it. This is the bill that came through at the weekend. He signed it, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, he could have uh, asked the Council of State for their opinions and their views on it. He doesn't necessarily have to take them. But on the Council of State, you have judges, ex Taoiseach, and seven nominees that he can nominate himself, who would be people who would be fairly uh, upright. And he could have got their opinions. Mm. I mean, <coughs> he said himself, that he was concerned about the way the bill went through the door. He issued a statement, which is something that is very, very rarely, if ever, done by a, a, a president signing a bill. Yeah, and he also said, I think, which added injury to insult to the to the mothers and babies. He said, if you want to find out if this is constitutional or not, go up to the High Court in the Supreme Court and use your own money to do it, rather than the state finding out whether this was constitutional or not. I mean, some people, I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but some people have said they, that this is unconstitutional because of this GDR thing, you know, the information stuff. Why didn't he do that? I mean, mm. or else if he talked to such, uh, uh, or else he could have resigned. I mean, uh, presidents had resigned before, yeah. and like Carullo Dalig resigned. Well, Carullo Dalig resigned because a president, because a minister called him a thundering disgrace, and in actual fact, it subsequently emerged in state papers when I got my hands on him that he didn't call him a thundering disgrace. He called him something else, a word we wouldn't use on the radio. But that was to do with that was to do with no, that but, one. But, yes, TJ. But I mean, the reason why Carullo Dalig resigned was because he wouldn't send, or because he did send a bill to the Supreme Court to test correct. his constitutionality. Correct, correct, correct. And yes. so therefore, Michael D. Higgins could have done the same thing. He could have sent this uh, to the Supreme Court to test his constitutionality. Mm-hmm. Or, if, if, or else if he felt so... Um, I mean, he, he talks brilliant. He has all this rhetoric and whatever. Yeah. But when it comes to action... Yeah. He does nothing. Yeah, there was a piece I don't know if you read it in, in one of the papers on Monday by a constitutional lawyer based at UCC, who said that while its content is as it is, and my own personal view on it, Brian, is the content is repulsive, and, yeah. and that's it's repulsive. Um, it's not unconstitutional, so the president can only make a decision on the basis of the constitution. But he only took a decision on his own view. Yes. He didn't ask people like judges, high court judges, sit on the Council of State. Yes. And they could have said, there's a prima facie case to send it to the Supreme Court, yes. or does not. So you're but suggesting that President that. Higgins should have called in the Council of State, at least, if, if only, and I'm not making light of it, if only for tea and biscuits, to see was this thing something he should sign? Well, I mean, high court judges, like, I mean, they would, I mean, they're... They have to adjudicate on the laws every single day of the week. Yeah. And if they could, I mean, they would be able to read through this reasonably fast and say, ooh, there's a point here and there's a point there yeah. that would really need to be teased out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even on the point that you just said yourself, dear PJ, I mean, to sign this bill is repulsive. Higgins have said, like, no, I'm not signing it. Yeah. I'm going to resign and get somebody else. Get one of your other cronies to sign this bill. Yeah, you'd probably end up with his successor signing it anyway. That's the only thing. But the thing about it would have got people. I mean, <laughs> it would take about two or three months to have to call a, a presidential election, and the yeah. people who are against this would have time to go to their TDs and say, "Repeal this, or else we're not going to elect you." Yeah, so yeah, there's that, that too. Yeah, you know. So I mean, there's a whole load of scenarios that could have happened. 
but because Higgins decided to sign it and signed it in haste. We're not asking anybody mm. uh, about it. You know, so I think it's disgraceful in that he should be reading, no. reading the statement that he wrote or had written, I dictate, I don't know whether he wrote it himself or had someone in his staff write it at his behest. You don't know how these things work. But how I read it, Brian, was he said he was saying, and this is how I interpret it is, I don't have much choice but to sign this, but it can be challenged afterwards. But the only that, people who could challenge it are the people who are in the mothers and babies homes. Yeah. I couldn't challenge it because I wasn't there. I wouldn't yeah. have the legal standing to do yeah. it. So yeah. he was going to put more insult onto the people in the mother and baby homes to go to the High Court and the Supreme Court and you know, PJ, how much it costs to go oh, there. Yeah. No, yeah. So, I mean, he was putting another burden on him. He was saying, I don't think you're, um, you're worthy of this. Go away and don't deny me. I'm not going to find out if it's constitutional or not. Which he could have done very easy. Yeah. Or he could get the Council of State to... Um, examine it to see if the constitutionality is there on yeah. that. And even if he did have a conversation with the Council of State and they teased it out among themselves and said, look, President, you do unfortunately have to sign it, he'd at least have tested it that way. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there was no test in this. Like, I mean, he, he, he just, somebody put the bill in front of him and he just signed it. I mean, it's... Well, it, well it, no, he did take time now, to be fair, Brian, he did take time to issue the statement, so... You know, he but clearly had read it. By the time the bill was passed and he signed it, it was only a couple of days in between it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, he could have taken even longer to sign the. So, what do you to. think he should do now? I mean, he. I personally think he should resign. He's a disgrace okay. to the country for signing a bill like this. Okay. I mean, we're all getting too. I mean, the 1930s in a place called Germany, they were passing laws something similar to this. And they were saying it's legal. Yeah, I got because you. it's legal doesn't make it... Doesn't uh, make it right. Annoying. We've had that discussion before. Brian, for no reason other than time, genuinely, I'm going to leave it there with you. You've opened a conversation. People are quite welcome to continue it if they wish to do so. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to the WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. And of course, Twitter and Facebook available as well. I will come back to the issue of President Higgins and plenty more besides uh, in a few minutes. But I want to talk first, uh, and I thank you for taking our call at short notice, to Professor Kingston Mills. Uh, from the uh, School of Biochemistry and Immunology at Trinity College. And we've spoken on the show before. Professor Mills, good morning. And thanks for taking our Good morning. Our Always good to, to talk to you. I want to go in a little bit, uh, Kingston, into this story from the EU, that while the EU is looking to buy up vaccines uh, at, uh, as many as it can get its hand on, it may not be able to roll them out to the average Joe Soap until the end of 2022. But I'll get to that in a minute. Where are we now, Professor, in terms of getting a working vaccine that I can actually stick in my arm? I mean, I think the progress has been unbelievably rapid. Um, you know, we, we, we the first beginnings of the 
of the vaccine uh, development was in March of this year, and we're pretty close to the first data from a phase three trial emerging, probably the end of November. So normally there are, f- there are three stages of testing, phase one, two, and three. They've, they've, and that would often take up to five years to complete for a typical vaccine. But they've, you know, they've, they've absolutely uh, reduced that down to the uh, minimum of e- even less than a year, which is extraordinary. So we do expect to hear the result, the first results by the end of November from Pfizer and then some more from the companies towards the end of the year. And that will tell us whether the vaccine actually works or not. We don't know if any of these will work yet. Mm. And these trials are designed to, tell, to test efficacy as well as safety. We will know that then. So if, they, if one of these works, they will start um, rolling them out probably early 2021, early next year. The initial uh, cohort of people who will, will be uh, earmarked for getting the vaccine will be the high-risk individuals, healthcare workers, um, older people, people underlying medical conditions, and then rolled out to the general population. But that will take some time. Yeah. One fear that people would have, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes it takes many years to get to this point people would be fearful that it might be rushed is that is that a danger um, I mean, the, the, the regulatory agencies, um, the European Medicines Agency, the EMA here in Europe, and the FDA in the United States will not license the vaccine unless they're 100% happy that it's safe and effective. Now, the, effective, the efficacy level will probably be acceptable at a lower level than they, they would normally. Normally, a vaccine would have to be up around 70% effective before they would license it. But they've said the, U- the US FDA have said 50% efficacy to license it, and Europe may be even lower than that. So this would be a stopgap if nothing else comes along in that you'll have a moderately effective vaccine, maybe one that doesn't stop transmission. Yeah. So there are the, the various ways vaccines can work. They can stop the, the, the virus completely from infecting somebody or they can stop the virus from causing disease. And obviously the former is really what you want to get what we call sterilised immunity and stop transmission of the virus in, in, the, in the population. But you know, it may be that the first vaccines will not be 100% effective. It may be that they will only stop disease and not transmission and then we'll move on to better ones as they come along. Yeah, I'm reading this report from the Irish Independent which says that the EU wants to book, wants to buy more than a billion doses and it's looking at three makers in particular and maybe even buy another billion from other companies. What are the most promising ones? Like for example, for the Irish population, we want to get the best one, we want to get the right one. What should we be looking at for Ireland? Well, I mean, we don't have a crystal ball, so we can't tell which one is going to work. But if I would base it on my on my own hunches, um, uh, so there's there's three or four different types of vaccines in development. One uses a traditional old-fashioned approach was to inactivate the virus. So that would be similar to what was used against polio virus, for example. And the Chinese companies are the most advanced in developing this. And, and to my, uh, in my opinion, these are the most likely to work. And then you have two other approaches, one which is um, using the nucleic acid from the vaccine, from the virus as a vaccine. And this is mRNA and, and Moderna and the companies uh, in Germany, Biotechnic and and um, one or two other companies are utilising it. And then you have the Oxford vaccine with AstraZeneca using what are called a, a, a viral vector. They use a, a safe version of the coronavirus, ironically, yeah. and they insert into it a bit of the gene coding for the SARS-CoV-2, and that it, it then infects the person mildly and causes a very good immune response. So so those are the three major, there's another one which is based on viral proteins, and mm. there's a company in the US that has that. So what, 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 what Europe is doing, they're hedging their bets, and the US are doing the same. 
and they're block booking, making deals to advance purchase um, vaccines from different manufacturers using different approaches. And this is prudent because it may be that one approach will work and one won't. So they're hedging their bets at this stage and not backing single um, type of vaccine but having a broad portfolio in the hope that one or more of these will work. Um, and if some of the vaccines will have to be given in, in a two-dose regime so person would have to get a primary dose and get, get a booster dose a month or two, two later. Right. And obviously you need double the, the number of doses there if you're giving two doses to cover the whole population. Once we have something that works and it could be like you said it could be two or three products. Once we have something that works What's the timeline then to getting it, as I said, to something that I, a person of reasonably robust health, can get in my arm? What's the timeline? Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it very much depends on which company, um, the vaccine for which company works. Because the production of the modern vaccine, the mRNA vaccine like that Moderna is producing is very rapid. They can produce it hundreds of millions of doses very quickly. The old-fashioned production method based on the inactivated virus is much more cumbersome and takes a much longer period of time, so it can be much slower. So depending on which type, if, if it is one of the very, you know, modern approaches that can rapidly produce, then you would expect that, you know, you get hundreds of millions of doses of that rolled out within a year. Um, but I think, you know, what you're looking at is towards the end of next year before the general population, mm. before the routine vaccination of the general population would, would, would be in full swing. I think in the early part of next year, we'd be looking really at, at, at the, the, the vaccine going into at the high-risk individuals first and then rolling it out to the general population. So, you know, all going well if the, if the vaccine if one of the vaccines work and it's safe and it's licensed it will go into healthcare workers and, and high-risk individuals early next year later in the year the general population yeah. you know in terms of the different ones being available like how would our health authorities here ensure that we get and for want of a better term the right one yeah, well, first of all, very much um, um, hooked in with what's happening in Europe. I think that there's a consensus in Europe that, that, that they're going to do this collectively. UK are obviously out of Europe now and they're doing their own thing and they've already made their own deals with, with vaccine manufacturers. But Europe as a collective has already uh, had advanced purchase deals in Ireland will be part of that. You know, I think if we're fortunate enough to have a choice that would be a great position to be in. I'd be delighted if that's the case in, in terms of that there's more than one or just two or three or four vaccines at work. That would be a fantastic position to be in. But then it's really is to do with you know, what's available and what's the supply um, mm. at companies. Different companies have different abilities to manufacture. So it will be very much dependent on supply and demand. Uh, and obviously there will be huge demand because every country in the world is grabbing to get the hands on the vaccine. And that's why they're doing the advanced purchase deals in the it, be it, ready to, to buy them. It does look as well from everything you read um, that it'll be the kind of thing that we'll have to get as frequently as we get the flu virus at least. It, it'll have to be one we get regularly. And not necessarily, no? in fact, no. no, because there's a big difference between flu and SARS-CoV-2. Flu is a very mutation-prone virus, so it changes every year. And that's why we need to get a flu vaccine at least every second year, if not every year, because the, the vaccine that protects you against this year's strain will not protect you necessarily against 
the following year okay. or the year after that. Whereas with SARS-CoV-2, it's not as mutation prone as, as influenza. So that that, that problem yeah. hasn't emerged. Yes, isn't there something, Professor, about the fact that the immunity might only last a few months or a year at most? Well, that is that is based again. It's a little bit misconception about this. Um, this is based on studies that have looked at people that have had mild infections with SARS-CoV-2, and there the antibody response decline fairly rapidly. But what a vaccine is trying to do is actually trying to do something that's much better than what the infection does at generating these responses. So we don't know yet the, the longevity of the the immunity generated by the vaccine, but all the predictions are that it will be better yeah. than that generated by mild infection. So that's not as big an issue as, as some people have. Okay, okay which is very, encourage, very encouraging yeah. to hear. Now, one thing we've always been told since the start of this is, is to watch our weight in terms of battling um, COVID should we get it. Do you need to be fit and healthy for a vaccine to work well? Like if you're overweight, will a vaccine work? Well, there's no doubt that um, obesity is linked with um, very severe outcomes in, in SARS-CoV-2. So COVID-19 patients that are obese, a lot, a lot of complications. And it's to do with the fact that they're, you know, the, the deaths in, in COVID-19 is related to inflammation. And people who are obese have a more of an inflammatory type phenotype. So they tend to get inflammation much more so than, than people who are, who are not obese. So it's in the infection, the obesity is a big issue. Okay. There's not much evidence that... that um, uh, people who are obese will be less likely to respond to a vaccine. Okay. I think that's less of an issue, but um, it's really to do with the infection more than the vaccination. And the bigger issue is actually the age. So the, the older people, uh, as we get older, our immune system is not working as well as it was when we were younger. Yeah. And so when we're vaccinated in our 70s and beyond, we don't respond as well to a vaccine. So younger people tend to respond better. So age is a bigger factor than obesity for the response to vaccinations. Yeah. And of course, if we do, and the, the sort of holy grail of all of this is herd immunity. So what we want to do is to vaccinate enough of the population to ensure that we stop transmission. This is if we have an effect of vaccine. To stop transmission of the virus in the community. And thereby you can actually protect people that they themselves yeah. might not be protected with a vaccine because you've stopped the spread of the virus in the community. This is, this is, this is the, the big deal about herd immunity because yeah. it potentially protects the whole population. You've raised the herd immunity issue and, and I must go down a certain line of questioning with you. There's a lot of talk out there about letting it rip and, and trying to do it without, without a vaccine in place. Is that possible? Is that safe? Would it be crazy to even try? Well, I mean, if you look at the evidence, um, uh, you know, in, in, if we if we compare New York City with Dublin, New York City has had about um, estimates between twenty five and thirty five percent of people in New York City have been infected, um, and in Dublin, um, an old survey showed that three percent. It's probably a good bit higher than that now, probably closer to ten percent. But in order to get herd immunity, we need 70 or at least 60 percent, if not 70 percent of the population infected and recovered. Now, the recent evidence last few days, in fact, have showed that, that about 50 percent of people who get SARS-CoV-2 get mild infections and some have no symptoms at all. And those people have poor immune responses and they're unlikely to have herd, you know, the immunity that's required to generate herd immunity. So it's looking even more unlikely than it was a few months ago, that natural infection throughout the population will generate herd immunity. So all the immunologists 
are very opposed to this idea. Um, all the immunologists that I know of, anyway, there are very few of them. I think some of the epidemiologists support it, yeah. but by and large, the immunology community would say that this is just simply not going to happen. That, that, that's actually, yes, you, I read, at least I read a, a very detailed summary of this Great Barrington Declaration and, and a number of other documents that, that are going around promoting effectively a herd immunity idea. And you made that point. Epidemiologists and epidemiological theorists push the her, herd immunity idea. Immunologists are opposed to it. Wherein is the different codes here, Kingston? No, I mean, I have to be careful now because some of the epidemiologists are completely on the same page sure, of course, as, yeah. as the but immunologists. Where does the but difference arise when it does? There are one or two that have stuck their neck out and said that herd immunity, and there was a famous, there's a famous epidemiologist in Sweden who was, who was advocating this, and Sweden had a policy which was very liberal compared with the, most of the rest of Europe in terms of not going for lockdowns and restrictions, although I think they are having to go further now than they did because they're having significant issues later than the, the rest. But anyway, the, the point is that some of the epidemiologists have said that herd immunity is, and there weren't just epidemiologists, there were other uh, scientific and medical people who have said that. And then they're entitled to their opinion on it. But I think, um, you know, the evidence based on the science would be that, that there's no real scientific basis to yeah. say that that's going to work. Okay. Just a couple of more before I let you go. One is on testing. And again, it's 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 social media driving this more than anything else. But there's a, there's a kind of a body of thought out there now that the PCR test is over amplified and too sensitive and picking up dead virus and and there's an actual fact there, there's some people are even arguing that it's not fit for purpose what do you think of that kind of talk well i, I think it's wrong to say it's not fit for purpose it's the gold standard test that's used throughout the world for testing for SARS-CoV-2 it is very sensitive and what it picks up is not a dead virus. It picks up nucleic acid for the virus. Now, it is true that you could have bits of the, the genes coding for the virus left behind after the virus is no longer infecting. So from that point of view, it, it, you know, people could argue that it's, that it's over-sensitive or overestimating the, the numbers of cases. So, But at the same time, it is a very effective way of making sure that you do pick up those that are positive. There are other tests coming along and um, uh, there are very rapid tests that yeah. tech for the antigen. They're a bit insensitive, probably too insensitive, but in between we have other tests like this LAMP test, which they're now using in um, Heathrow Airport for, um, uh, you can pay for it, it takes half an hour and um, people going to, on flights to Hong Kong have to have it. Yeah. And we're using it in Trinity to screen students using saliva samples um, and it's, it, it, it could be a, a game changer in terms of um, screening large numbers of individuals right. and then confirming by the gold standard PCR test. To get, to get back to some level of, of, of normal life, we mass exactly. test people. They're reading as well this morning, and I heard it on the radio, about a breath test. Yes, this was an unusual one. I mean, of course, breath tests have been used before for detecting, um, for example, um, Helicobacter pylori infection, which is a gut bacteria, which, you know, but, but this technology seems to be, you know, um, quite effective. It, it hasn't got much traction outside of where they, um, um, the, the, the people, and I've forgotten which group um, published on it. 
But it, 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 looking at the paper, um, it looked pretty real to me. Um, the trouble with these, these approaches are it takes several different labs in several different countries to, to, to do something before the general sort of scientific community will buy into it. That's, that's, and that's correct. And for example, the lamp assay now, there's, there's dozens of labs around the world that have, have, have reported on its usefulness. So I think we will see it introduced. I think something like the, the breath test will be a bit slower to come along because of general acceptance. It's, you know, it's not in there yet as one of the, the lead tests. Okay. Lastly, and the last time you spoke with me, we were talking about Donald Trump, Professor Mills, which is why I'll swing this one at you and you can duck it okay. if you wish. Um, He's way behind in the polls, as we know. Polling day is November 3rd. Is there any chance that he could politicise this by pulling something out of the hat before the election in terms of fast-tracking a licensed virus? Vaccine, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, the the nearest thing we're we're going to get to a vaccine in the the near future is... um, the, 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 the Pfizer vaccine, which they expect to have ready for going to the regulatory approvals on the third week in November. So it's just not going to happen before the election. I mean, he, he said this some months ago that they were going to have a vaccine and they were going to, it was going to be licensed on the 23rd of October, I think was the date that they gave. But that's come and passed yeah. and um, it's not going to happen. He's not got some so, crazy elect, um, executive order he can pull out of a hat and do it fast. Well, I, no. I, I, I think, you know, Tony Fauci has been playing a blinder. Yeah. He's the head of the NIH and he's an incredibly respected scientist among the scientific community and he has managed to play a wonderful, wonderful job in the States in terms of making sure that he keeps the, the Trump administration um, in, in track in terms of what the, the science is. And I think that he's been instrumental in in the, the scientific um, sense that's come out of the U.S. And, and hopefully, you know, he, and he, he's, he's and, and the NIH, of course, are central in a lot of the vaccine testing, the vaccine, the financing of the vaccine trials, etc. So to answer your questions, no, I don't believe there will be anything pulled out of the hat in time for the election. Certainly much later. Okay. All right. Thank you for your time this morning, Professor Kingston Mills uh, from the Department of uh, School of Biochem and Immunology at Trinity College. Thank you. 1850-715-996. I hope you got something out of that. It was quite long and went into a little bit of detail. But when you talk to people like uh, Professor Mills, you get rational science. You don't get any nonsense like you read on, on social media. 1850-715-996. A few responses coming in to Brian's call about President Michael D. Higgins. I do propose to come back to it. I'm not ignoring it. There's some comments. I'm holding them off. But something that I want you to think about next. Paying it forward. Acts of kindness. Acts of kindness in memory of a gorgeous little girl. That's next. 1850 Food crimes that people commit. Okay, whatever you do, never take a bite out of someone else's burger. Absolutely not. You know, when you offer somebody a slice of pizza, but the slice is stuck to another slice and they take two slices? I've seen that. Death penalty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when somebody offers you crisps, you don't go deep. No, you don't. You don't rummage. You don't go deep. Taking a piece of naan bread without your granny's permission. <laughs> 
Don't do it. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool, celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96 FM. I'm joined on the phone by Irene O'Connor and Irene is still it must be said Irene still in the throes of, of grief about the loss of your beloved uh, Bavine. She was she was only nine and yes. she she passed away when? On the sixteenth of September. Oh my. Oh last my. month, yeah. So so it's still very raw and still very sore. It is, it is. Okay. We um like basically we were, you know, um waiting for her heart surgery in Crumlin. Yeah. And we did know that there was a risk, but like normally they tell you maybe 90, 95% risk. And, and th- you know, she did go through the surgery and she came through the surgery okay. And um, she was in ICU and she was doing a routine procedure which triggered a cardiac arrest. This was on Friday, the 9th of September. Right. She went for her operation at 8 o'clock in the morning. And Owen, my husband and myself were in the Ronald McDonald house waiting for the surgeons to ring us to see how the operation went. And at half four, they, they called us and they said everything went great and that we could start making our way over. And they were just settling her in ICU. So we were just waiting outside the door of ICU. And at six o'clock, they came out and um, they told us they were doing compressions on her. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So that that lasted 45 minutes. They, they worked tirelessly to try and and get her back and thankfully they they did because she got to go on life support and we we got to spend four extra days with her um so on the 16th of september which is a wednesday um she had to pass away they they told us on tuesday that they were turning off the life support and that she'd received catastrophic brain injuries due to the compressions um so she lasted 12 hours and she died at four o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, the 16th mm-hmm. of September. 
But what we found very strange is that on the 17th of September 2010 is the day we found out that we're having a heart baby. So she stayed with us exactly 10 years to the day. She had a very complex heart condition. She did. She had heterotaxy. At the time she was born, there was only six children in Ireland at the condition. I'm not sure how many there is now. There were six, five other families we knew. Um, And basically, um, she had... It's, it's just her organs were, were different, so her tummy was on this side, and she had a midline um, liver, and she triloped lungs. But the most serious part of her condition, obviously, was, was her heart. She had half a heart, so she had only one, um, two chambers instead of four. Okay. But the thing about Bavine, and what we want to really concentrate on, um, is the positivity. Of so course. She brought such amazing positivity and good and kindness in her short 10 years. She didn't let her condition stop her in any way. Yes. She obviously used to get really breathless and she couldn't do what other kids do. And she was a daredevil. So if, if it was possible for a child to jump out of a plane and she'd never heart condition, she would have done that. And she'd have been the first child in the Guinness Book of Records to do it. She just loved pushing, pushing the boundaries and, and having fun. And she just never, never had any sadness in her. Um, she's always laughing. Her, her, her line was, come on, let's have the crack. And in school... Yeah. She, she loved everyone in her class and they all loved her and the teachers. She made a big impact in her school and in her community and with her friends. Um, she just had this amazing smile and positivity about her. Yeah, there's some beautiful photographs of her in the examiner. She had a smile that would light up the street, let alone yeah, the room. Everybody, everybody said that and she, she, we, it's hard to find a picture of her that isn't, that isn't smiling. And I guess it, it was heartbreaking for my, myself and my husband. Um, I'm the only one who actually knew that I'd have to bury her. So if you knew Bavine and everyone who's listening that knows Bavine, people didn't see her as a child who had a heart condition because she just was able to, to go around with the other kids. She never complained. She, she, just, she just lived life to the fullest. And yeah. she lived every single day to the fullest. And when she was born, or when I was pregnant, I knew, I knew from, from four or five weeks of being pregnant, I knew there was something wrong with the baby. But people thought it was me because on the 14-week scan, they, they said, everything's great, she's doing wonderful. And I kept going, there's something wrong with my baby, there's something wrong with my baby. And I remember um, being meeting my best friend, Deborah, and she telling me that she was pregnant. And that was our dream, to be pregnant together. Mm. And she was nine weeks pregnant at the time when I was 16 weeks pregnant. And of course, I was so delighted, but I burst out crying. And they were like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I'm so sorry, but I'm not going to see this baby go up. And they're not going to go up together. They're, she's not going to live. And then on the 22-week scan, they told me she was incompatible with life. Oh, no. and, and we had to wait through the whole pregnancy. We went to Crumlin and they told us that there was some hope, that, that there was a chance that the baby could live, a 50-50 chance. So we had to wait until she was born on the 20th of January. And since then, she's just been breaking all odds. She came out with life support. There was... Uh, a team waiting for her in case they had to resuscitate her and everything on one side of the room and she just came out 10 pounds crying perfect she was home with us we, she was brought to Crumlin and checked out and home with us within 8 days we've had very few hospital stays for, for her heart child we're so blessed and so lucky we had the miracle of her first operation on the 21st of December 2011 um, we brought her to Santa and we asked Santa for help on the yes. Sunday we got a call on the Monday to say that they could do the operation. She was up on the Wednesday and it was a Christmas miracle on Christmas okay. Eve. On her first Christmas, she sat up wanting to play and we had a lovely Christmas up in Crumlin. They were so great. Yeah. And since then, everything's been wonderful. And then we found out she needed this valve operation. 
Yes. But from the minute that I heard it, I knew. I knew that when I was going to lose her. Mm. Nobody else did that. Irene, was heterotaxia a condition that was always going to shorten her little life? Was there ever a hope, for example, that well, might have been children, curable? children, like, that we, we know, like, there's people in America and they're 20 and 30. We know a 45-year-old lady actually in America, who, who have, they've done this, it's called the, the Fontan, so it's very similar to the children who have hyoplastic left heart syndrome, so she had a three-stage operation. So there, there was a, a, an absolute chance that she would live until 20, 30, maybe 40 even. Um, her cardiologist, um, Dr. Colin McMahon, Professor, sorry, Colin McMahon, um, he's amazing, and when, when I was pregnant, he did the scan, he did say to me, she's not going to live to be 80, but she's going to live, and she's going to have a life. So this was completely unexpected by Crumlin, by all my family, friends, even me. As much as I spent the last year or two going, this valve operation is very serious, I don't know about this, I don't think this is going to go good to my friends and family. But we still, we've hoped and we prayed and she got through the surgery fine. It was actually, it was a routine procedure in ICU afterwards. It That's was heartbreaking. They saw, yeah, it wasn't supposed to happen. They even, like, come... Professor McMahon and her wonderful surgeon, um, they told us that it was horrendous what happened to us and it, it shouldn't have happened. Like it was um, suctioning of her lungs, so it, was, it, it, it stopped her heart and she went into cardiac arrest. It was just this fluke. It wasn't meant to happen. She got through the eight hours of surgery and it was, it was just a routine procedure that, that did it. And it, was the, it wasn't her heart in the end that made her pass away. It was the brain injury she, she suffered from the CPR. I want to talk a little bit about heartangel.com in a, in a minute. But before I do, uh, Irene, how do you and, and Owen cope with such a loss? Oh, well, I think we're a little bit different to other families who might lose a child because since the day she was born, we lived every day in life to the full. Like, I mean, there's, I, I can honestly say there's not one day that we didn't do something fun and something big with baby and we tried to make every single day special and three weeks before she passed away she turned around to me and she said mom you do know that I know it's not normal that you know that you you treat me different to other moms you've never given out to me daddy's never given out to me and I know I'm spoiled <laughs> and then she said but but am I still going to be spoiled after my operation and did I she said, know how sick she was yeah she was nervous about her operation every night we we still went to bed with her every night and put her to sleep. Um, and every night she'd say to me, Mommy, I'm really nervous about her, my operation. And every night I said to her, Baby and darling, do you really think that Daddy and I'd put you in for an operation if we thought something would happen to you? We'd never do that. And that's probably the only time I think that, 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 that I feel sad because that's something I told her that I, I didn't believe I was very worried about the operation too, but she, she had to have it because she was getting tireder towards the end and she started getting SVTs for her heart would go up to 220 beats per minute and mm. they had to, to to shock her heart and get it back down with medicine so it was a bit nervous towards the end but, but no, nobody expected this to happen nobody expected her to pass away I handed her over that day smiling and giving her a kiss because they rang me on my birthday on the 4th of September come and rang me and said the operation's going to happen and it, I thought it was my gift I was like, oh, this is finally falling into place because we'd been waiting for it for so long and with COVID and everything, we were terrified because she didn't have a spleen. So we were very worried. So we were so thankful that this was coming into place. Everything was falling into place. So we did get a, a, a severe shock, but we didn't sleep. Owen and I, like, we were a whole week in Cumberland by, since from the day she got the... Um, had to have the CPR and the operation on, on the 11th of September. Her life support was turned off on the Tuesday. She died on the Wednesday. It was her wake. We waked her in the house with all her friends. 
and she was buried in her communion dress and, and we didn't want to make it sad so we had a celebration okay. all her little friends she's amazing friends you'd, you'd, um, you'd, you'd have a right Irene you'd have a right to yeah, be, ang- to be angry you'd have a right to be bitter you're not, not I can't be because I, I don't I don't think we were ever supposed to have a child and I really believe in dates and faith oh. and what's meant to be is meant to be and we had her for exactly 10 years to the day we were told on the 17th of September 2010, your child is incompatible with life, and God gave her us, gave us an angel. Okay. okay. Talk to me about Heart Angel. So, the whole week was very stressful up in Crumbin. Obviously, we didn't sleep, and, and the funeral was on the Friday, and everyone was around, and it was just beautiful, and everyone helped us so much. And on Sunday, it was the first time Owen and I were together on our own. We went to her grave, and we sat by her grave, and we were talking about how did this happen? She's our only child. And she was our world. And we, this was like, it was, was both of our idea because I said, oh, and I don't think we were supposed to have a child. I think that she was actually just lent to us for 10 years to the day. And I think that just God sent us an angel and she was too good for the world. She hates anyone being sad. She'd be very cross with me now, shared I was sad. She couldn't cope. It's the only thing she got upset about is if we got sad. She was the only thing she'd get really bad about. She's like, please don't be sad. Please don't cry. Everything will be okay. And she always said that. So I said to her, I just, I think she was here for some purpose. I think she was here for some good. Like the stories we heard from people, like that we didn't even know. And, and the, the, the love and, I mean, her, I know it sounds weird, but, but her funeral was a celebration and I, I didn't even do it with my friend Deborah and all my friends that helped you, me with this. Will you do something for me, Irene? Will we pause it there for about two and yep. a half minutes because I need to take a commercial break okay. no and problem. all of that and we'll talk about the funeral and we'll talk about the idea for the website and the phenomenal response that there's been, yeah, it's been amazing. to the website. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, okay. alright? Just stay there for me. I'm talking to Irene O'Connor, uh, mother of Bavine, who died just last month at the age of 10. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Yes, maybe it was nine, her, her birthday would have been in, in January. In so, January. Yeah. The, te- the 10 years is the day that I found out. Yes. I was, I was, pregnant it was this the 17th of september 2010 they told me i first heard the words i'm sorry your baby's heart isn't okay and we don't know if she's compatible with life and it was the 16th of september 2011 that, that she died so if if it had gone into the next day it would have been 10 years in a day so to me it was 10 years that i that we had davine because we obviously started talking about her we knew she was a girl we knew about her condition we'd yeah. find out so much and I, I know you said that we're not sad, but we're, we're terribly sad, heartbroken. You know, I, I, I know, I know, but, I know. I but said what it is, yeah. the reason we're so positive is because Davine is just the most positive person and she would have been devastated. Yes. I, like, I, honestly, I was really bad on the Sunday, PJ. I was, I was terrible at the grave. I was so upset. I was really angry. Yeah. I was giving out to God. I was that, out that's to what everyone, I was saying to you. You, yeah, you have a right I, to be angry. You have a right to be bitter and that you're yeah. not. Uh, but I can't be, and neither can Owen, because we, we may never have had Davine. Like, we, we mightn't have had that amazing 10 years, and she's changed our life, and she's our world. And that's when we said we have to do something. That, that was Owen and I came up with it together. So I came up with the, 
own, I, I think she was only lent to us for 10 years. And what's meant to be is meant to be, and there has to be a reason. There must be some reason that she, that she was given to us for 10 years, and that's when we, we were talking for ages by her grave, and it came to us. It was like Davine was talking to us, because I'm, I'm always saying that there's rainbows and sunshine. That That's what came. It was like it was sun shining down on us, and I was, I was like, that's Davine, there's something. There has to be something we have to do. And then Owen said... Uh, we should set up a website just so that everyone will remember her. And I said, that's an amazing idea, but we have to have a reason. And when she was a baby, we wrote a blog. And then suddenly the blog, it was, it was always in her words. The blog was always in her words when I was pregnant. It was like she was talking to me. And then when I was sitting there, it just came to me, the whole story about how she was only lent us and she was an angel and that it was our job to spread kindness and love in her name because the pandemic's really upset her family, you know, that it's so hard on everyone, the world's got so bitter and cross and upset and the whole world is sad. And we were thinking, even if it's just in her own small little community with her friends, if we could have some kind of positivity like that she would share and, and get them to do it. So we came up with the website www.theheartangel.com and if you go on to it and scroll down to the, just to the very end you'll see like her Facebook, her Twitter and her Instagram account so it's very easy just to click into them and what we're asking everyone to do is an act of kindness for somebody so we didn't expect it to be so phenomenal like the, the response, we, we only launched it on her month's mine so we had a little prayers just by her grave because of COVID we couldn't have um, many people there but we um, launched it that day so it's like a week and a half. And so far, there's just people from all over the world. It's barely 10 days ago, yeah. Yeah, like we people f- like the NYPD in in New York. Um, uh, I don't know. How did, they, how did they pick up on it, Irene? It's just friends because we, we just... So on the Friday, we launched the website and we told our friends to share us on Facebook or Instagram. And then it just it snowballed from there. So people were sharing it for us and then we were getting these pictures back from people we didn't know in Peru and Australia and Canada and then we might know that then we'd find out that they were a friend of a friend of a friend yeah. and it was just through Facebook so random acts of kindness have been flying in from all over the world for the last like 10 you, days and then you, and then people started contacting us like yeah. from the newspaper because they'd seen it on Instagram and then you contacted it yesterday because you'd seen it I don't know where, on the paper. If, 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 you, if you didn't know it before, you, you certainly know it now, Irene. The world is a dreadfully small place. I know, <laughs> it's incredible. And Bavine had her make a wish um, when she was four, for her fourth birthday, she went to Disneyland and it was just... What, what, I, what I'm trying to say is we actually literally lived every day like it was our last. And what we found with like, friends and family and cousins, when we started showing them the pictures of Bavine at her wake, so we brought her home to our, our home and, and people visited just to say goodbye to her. So we had her, her coffin like, just at the back door by the garden so people could come and pay their respects and just talk about Bavine. And everyone was like, I can't believe how many videos you have. I can't believe how many photos you have. I can't believe how much you've done because like, everything was something big. And I think that's something that I passed on to people is just every day try and do something with your kids fun. We never like we never had a, a fight between us. She, she, she was just a good child. She didn't um, have any reason for us to give up. But we never gave out to her. We told her we loved her every single night, and we told her why we loved her and why she was so special. And that's why she turned around. I think three days or three weeks before she died and said that to us that she knows. That, and that gives us so, so much comfort that she knew that, that she was loved so much and that it wasn't normal the way we were with her. But that, was, that wasn't us, that was her, because we knew that she was only lent to us. I knew that I'd have to bury her someday. And because of that, we just fitted 
so much into 10 years. And then the act of kindness took off. So mm. An act of we, kindness can be something very simple. Very simple. So, like, some of them are... Some people have just sent flowers to nursing homes for the elderly and chocolates. Um, one of her really good friends in school, Lily, did, like, sandwiches and cakes for the homeless drive. Um, another, her cousin, do- donated toys to Crumlin Children's Hospital, the Heart Ward, with his communion money. And he, he bought loads of toys and donated it. And her friend Lily, just these are just the, the ones that are coming to my head because I know the people that yeah. did them. So Lily, um, her best friend here in the neighbourhood, they um, she did positivity notes to everyone in the neighbourhood because during lockdown, Bayvine painted loads of stones for the wood next to us here in Riverstick. And it was all stones with positive messages like, be strong and we'll get through this and everything will be okay. And she left them all the way along the wood to try to cheer people up. So And she used to do notes, Bayvine, and do nice notes and that's where Lily got that idea right. um, other, her other cousins Brooke and Jacob um, they washed cars <laughs> for people so it's and her her best friend's sister Izzy gave her tooth fairy money to make a wish oh. it's literally just really simple things we're in lockdown now for another I think five weeks, five weeks and I yeah. thought it would be good time for everyone just to sit down as a family and come up with like a good deed that they could do to make yeah. themselves feel good as well as well as the people that's getting uh, on the receiving side. Cove Ramblers are doing a food appeal for penny dinners between one and three on Saturday at the club shop and they're doing it I think just in honour of, of Bayview oh, and they're wow. gonna, they were going to do it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to do it in honour, in honour of Bavine. Um, it's just incredible. Kate, Kate says she's the most with. special little girl. Even though she's not with us anymore, she'll accomplish great things. Sending yeah. all the, the the outpouring of, of of love and warmth for you and <laughs> Owen and, and admiration. For, I think it's it's admiration for your strength. I know, but like you have no choice. When we found out when I was pregnant that I had to live for twenty weeks, not knowing if she'd live or not, I thought I wouldn't get through it, and I did. And for the last 10 years, I have woke up every single morning of my life wondering, was this going to be the last day that I'd have with baby? And I had to live through that. Yeah. And now we have to live through this. And, and it's not strong. If you did it, if it happened to you or your family, you'd have to do the same. Everybody yeah, but I don't know if I could. I, and I, I, you don't know. I, you have to do the same. You don't know if you could. I think you're. I, I think you're remarkable. I, I really do. Well, it's not us. It's Bevin that gives us the strength. It, uh, this is all from Bevin, and like it's. And I know this sounds mad, but she's giving us signals and signs. So, we were here. People wanted to do something, and her, as I said, make a wish was her favorite charity, and she loved children, animals, babies, cats. She just wanted everyone to have the crack and the fun and to love life, and so we said. Um, People were going, okay, we're doing these acts of kindness. Can, can we give money or is, can we do something like the ice buck challenge? And we were like, well, it's not about that. But if you wish, make a wish is this, the most amazing charity. Like, we got to spend that time with Baby and Disney. And, and it's not just going to Disney. She was treated like a princess. She had a little pass on her. Nobody knew what it was, but everyone in Disney knew she was a make-a-wish child. So princesses came up to her. She skipped queues. She was treated like a princess. And this is what make-a-wish does with seriously ill children that don't have this long on earth. So we we did it donate to make a wish, and now there's eight thousand seven hundred euro in the last ten days. Wow, that's phenomenal! And they've already been in contact with us. They're blown away, and they're already able to start, you know, coming up with wishes and grant, you know, confirming that wishes will come true on the back of this money. And if we could, I don't. I know it's t- t- hard times for everyone. You don't have to donate at all, but if you have a little bit. Every little bit counts because that's all it is. It's like, you know, people's tooth fairy money and pocket money and, and it's up to 8,700 already. 
and it's just made a difference for Make-A-Wish and their, their, their children who are waiting for wishes. Yeah. It's made people happy. So I've actually wit- witnessed just my, my niece and nephew live next door and they decided that their thing was going to wash cars because Bavine loved, you know, they, she loved playing with water with them. That's all they did, the three yeah. of them. Bavine lived next door and they all loved playing with water. So they said they'd do something like that and they washed cars and they had so much fun because it's been hard on them. They've, it's yeah. nearly like losing a sister for Brooke and Jacob. Yeah. So well, this, really this, this show fun. is, this they show is, fun. yeah, brilliant, brilliant. This show is listened to on podcast and sometimes even live all over the world, Irene. So so I think we'll get an opportunity for people to search your website, have a look and, and do something Amazing. because there's people, literally we have listeners fr- from Shanghai to Sydney yeah, that's who have caught connections. To get all over the world. If, if everybody does one simple act of kindness and, and asks the person paid forward to do something good in Bavian's name, like it's not, we realised people who've done the, their their um, paying it forward and doing done their act of kindness, they've contacted us saying it's so much fun doing it. So you have fun and you feel good, and it's great for the children. Like now they're they're not going to school. They're it's it's so hard for them during lockdown. Their their whole year of their life. That's so much for your child. So this might be something fun that the family could do together. And then maybe get into habit of it, even once a month. Like, I know that Brooke and Jacob, my God, they, they give a present every year into, um, into Cork for, for, the, for the children who are poor. Like, maybe it can become a tradition if they come up with this act of kindness and they could do it, you know, yeah. once a year and come together as a family. And then we ask them to put it. Like, so if you go into um, www.theheartangel.com, you can read all about Davine and her blogs. All her stories and pictures are in there. But if you scroll down to the very end, it's so easy just to click. If, you're, if you like Facebook or if you like Instagram or if you like Twitter, you just have to click on the little icon at the bottom. And then you can post up. We'd like you to post up pictures. Like, so take pictures while you're doing your act of kindness and then post them. And then um, it's, it's a sign. It's um, hashtag the heart angel. So if you hold up just a handmade sign when you've completed your task, post it up on Facebook and ask everywhere, Instagram, I'm, I'm old so I'm on Facebook, but Instagram or Twitter, whatever you use and ask all your friends on the page to please think of an act of kindness that they could do and then post up their okay. family picture. All it could right. be a challenge for the next five weeks, it could be something fun to do, not just sitting around going from room to room or going for your one walk a day or whatever, all this right. could be something really nice that a family could do just to spread kindness and love everywhere in Bavian's name so okay. that you'll never be forgotten. Okay, well, 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 well. You certainly have started a ball rolling here. And, and I know, I know, in my heart, she's proud of her mammy and daddy. I know that too. She told us, she told us three weeks before she died. We got so many signs the month. We did something big every single day of, of August and we didn't know this was coming. But she literally sat down and said that to us. And, I've, and her last video, we were looking through her pictures and videos afterwards. Her very last video was... There was a song playing in the background and she was just with little, little small little swimming pool in the background and that she could go under the water and she swam around it and the back um, of the music was I pray to go to heaven and I'll see you on the other side. There were the words that was in the song, just, just a small tiny little clip and she literally waved and went under the water and it was like her goodbye. Look after yourselves. Thank ben, you she's so looking much, after you Dave. anyway, but you look after yourself. Thank you so much for hearing Bavine's story. Cheers, Irene. Thank you for Thank telling you. it so, so well. And for Irene O'Connor, what words are left? None.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996 is our number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Some responses to uh, Professor Kingston Mills. The usual nonsense uh, from a lot of the conspiracy theorists. We'll stick with our science from proper scientists. Thank you ever so much. Huge response to Irene huge response. My heart goes out, says Sheila, listening to her story. She's an angel in heaven now, looking down on her family. Uh, and we've got loads of other ones. My heart goes out to Irene, listening to her story. Such a brave lady to tell her story with everything is so raw. Says Antoinette, it puts life into perspective. Listening to a mom, broken-hearted over her little baby girl. What an amazing woman. During heartbreak, she just pours out love. Loss of a child is impossible, but this lady is spreading love during her grief. The world needs people like her. Frank says, what a brave, strong lady. It was heartbreaking, but uplifting at the same time. Thanks for those. And there's there's loads more. I could spend the next 20 minutes reading those comments. The website, if you'd like to see more about Bevin's story and get involved in, in the acts of kindness and the Heart Angel campaign which is now already it's already the NYPD are already involved in this and we're hoping that our listeners who listen to this show either live or listen to our repeat or listen to our podcast anywhere in the world uh, log on www.theheartangel.com and see what's there and if it's something that you want to get involved in we'd love you to do that interesting story in the news today Uh, one of these ones do you know, the kind of news story that goes, what? Do you hear that, Mary? Do you know the kind of reaction that you get over the morning breakfast table and you're sitting there and the news is on? What? Do you hear that, Mary? That kind of response. There was one of those in the news this morning. A Cork TD says questions need to be asked after new contact tracers employed by the HSE were told they'd have to bring their own laptops to work. That was the kind of thing that gets, shoo, here I am, Mary. Mick Barry, what's going on here? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Not too bad. I'd certainly nearly dropped me a cup of coffee at 7 o'clock when I heard it. Yeah, the Irish Times broke the story this morning that um, new recruits for contact tracing had received correspondence to say that um, if they had a laptop, uh, they might bring the laptop in because the HSE haven't got their uh, full supply. Uh, in yes. Now I see that the um, the HSE have rushed out a statement saying, "Look, this is just a small number of contact tracing recruits." Um, my ears prick up when I hear the word "small." Uh, I'd like to know how small. Give us a number. Uh, and there's an Oireachtas Health Committee uh, meeting today, and I'm sure the question will be asked uh, there. We need an answer to that uh, question. But this is just it's 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 part of a bigger picture when it comes to uh, the contact tracing situation. Because, um, I mean, we could have and should have uh, a world-class contact tracing situation in this country. Uh, there isn't a, a, a job. Well, you'd be hard put to list 10 jobs in the country at the moment that would be more important than the job of a, of a contact tracer. Yeah. Um, and yet, um, the story with the laptops just seems to be uh, part of the problems that we're having on that front. 
Last week I was talking to Dr Nick Flynn and he reminded us that at the start of the pandemic we were told they'd be hiring several thousand contact tracers and in fact we have in around 500. Now they said they'll, they'll hire more but that's, that's not enough by any manner of means. No, it's not. I mean, we've had a, a surge in COVID cases and the HSE have said, look, uh, we were caught unawares by the surge. Um, uh, give us a bit of time here. Uh, and look, we're not looking for perfection here, but you shouldn't be caught unawares by a surge. The surge in cases in this country is, is less than is the case in other countries. I'm, I'm sure you see the news coming in from Belgium there uh, in the last few days. Um, so it's not the biggest surge that uh, any country is dealing with, and yet the system was overwhelmed and 2,000 people were asked to contact uh, their own contacts. Um, we had a, a case brought up in the doll by my colleague uh, Richard Boyd Barrett um, on Budget Week there of contact tracers in Dublin who were being hired on zero-hour contracts. Yeah. You know? I mean, this is one of the most important jobs in the country, and you're employing people on... On, I thought on, that was illegal now, Mick. Well, there's, 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 there's ways around it, you see, and apparently this particular outfit that was working out of UCD in Dublin... Weren't you supposed to give people a guaranteed 15 hours a week work? Uh, in certain circumstances, they, they, can, they can get around that, um, and uh, apparently they, they use that loophole. In this case, I've put a question in to the Department of Health, it's been referred on to the HSE now, as to whether the zero-hour scam is taking place in uh, in Cork. Uh, maybe if your listeners have any information on that, mm. there's people walking in contact tracing. Now, but the, let the, us know the, what the story is. The thing about it is if they have booked up their idea and and hired more contact tracers, and um, God, we need them, we need lots of them, and we need them quickly, is it such a bad thing that they say, listen, we will supply you with a laptop, but can you bring your own for now? But see, they're not supplying them with a laptop. That's the point. Um, there's special HSE laptops which uh, you can use the contact tracing uh, uh, system that the HSE has uh, on and they haven't got their order in or they haven't got their order in uh, fully and that's why people are being asked uh, to bring their own laptops although I, I believe an assurance has been given that, that they're not going to be doing uh, they're not going to be doing the um, the the um, the, 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 the high tech stuff yeah. Are there the, GDPR uh, implications here for example? Yeah, well, like I say, there's an Oireachtas Health Committee meeting today and there has to be a lot of questions uh, asked of that. I, I think the big question and the key question is this, though. Um, you know, the experts say that contact tracing should be done in less than three days, right? Uh, and we find out this morning that for every six people uh, who are being traced in this country, five is more than three days. In fact, more than half is more than four days. Uh, and that's the main issue that needs to be uh, uh, sorted uh, here. How does one apply for the job of contact tracers? Because what you hear are two things. First of all, at the exact question, how do I apply? And how does the process work? I don't know. You'd have to ask the HSE. Which, in a way, Mick, and I'm not going to be smart and say you might have checked it before we came on air, because, you know, here's the thing. Such, like you said, it's probably one of the most important jobs in the country at the moment. Should there not be full-page ads in the newspapers telling us how to apply for the job? And there probably should. Um, I mean, I understand that in Dublin, those people who are hired on the zero-hour contracts, a lot of them were 
uh, graduates, uh, science graduates. Uh, you know, they're not like uh, uh, young people who are trying to make a few bob mowing the lawn over the summer holidays. Uh, the, the, this is a, well, a really important job. I, I happen uh, to know someone with a qualification in public health, Mick, who's currently figuring out, trying to figure out how the hell do I play for this job. Okay. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's, it's obscure, to say the least. Okay, okay. That's interesting. It's complicated. So, can we? That there's, there's something to bring to the committee. Can we make it better known to people how you go about applying for the job? Okay. Um, uh, good point. Good point. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. And the laptop thing. Then, what do you what What do you want the HSE to do about that? Um. I want them to get the, uh, the 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 proper laptops in uh, ASAP, and and the contact tracers who've been hired uh, working with HSE equipment rather than doing it in a Mickey Mouse uh, fashion. But as I say, this is um, a small part of a much bigger picture, and the key point is that we get the contact tracing down below that yeah. key threshold. Of uh, the three days, but that's the key issue there. If every block in it isn't in the right place, you end up with a very slow and very complex system. Mick, thank you. 1850-715-996. You'd think like, that they'd buy bundles of laptops. Because, let's say, so this is the HSE. This is one of the biggest corporates or biggest employers or biggest organisations in the entire country. If they go to a supplier of laptops and say, come here, we want... Um, we want 5,000 of them, and we want them yesterday. Like, not only will we get them, they'll get them at a knockdown price as well. So it's crazy, daft. 1850-715-996. But there's a the thing, like, how do you go about applying for one of these jobs? I was just doing a quick Google Google the other day to find out how do I apply for a job as a contact tracer. And it's not as easy as you might think. Apparently, the application process is very complex, and people are actually giving up. Like, why can't we just make things easy for people? 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix is one year online. So to celebrate, we're giving away €500 Euro to one loyal listener. €500. Euro. For your chance to win, follow Cork's 96FM on Instagram now. Tag your mates, then share it in your Insta stories using the hashtag HitMixMoney. HitMixMoney. Euro. Cork's 96 FM's Hit Mix. The home of non-stop, fresh, new music. Listen on your phone, smart speaker, or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. Lots of people still asking about Level 5 and what is essential and what is not. You'll remember we started out this morning talking to Irene who started a, a petition to try to get hairdressers and makeup artists allowed, as it were, at weddings because they're not right now under Level 5. But lots of other calls coming in um, which prompted a call to us from the McCurtain Street Laundrette. They say laundries are classed as essential in Level 5 they're open for business and awaiting your clothes and your duvets, etc. I assume that all sorts of social distancing and sanitary 
precautions are in place, but laundries are essential under level five. Also running this time, they didn't run the last time, uh, are the courts. The courts didn't run during the first lockdown unless there were an emergency sitting or an extraordinary sitting. It didn't happen. The general courts didn't happen. But we got a call from someone down at the courthouse to say there's about 100 people in court four in Anglesey Street. Gardaí, solicitors, barristers, there's about 50 outside in the hall. There is no social distancing. This could be a super spreader event. Check with the court reporters. It's a scandal that makes Golfgate look like a teddy bear's picnic. And it was the same yesterday. I can only assume that that is the murder trial presently ongoing uh, before the Central Criminal Court sitting in Cork. I know that some people in and out of the courts, some of the judges are very particular at the moment about the numbers of people in their court, but that's the Central Criminal Court presently sitting in Cork. There are always large numbers at the Central Criminal Court. Let's go back to what uh, President Michael D. Higgins did at the weekend when he signed into law the very controversial piece of legislation to do with the mother and baby homes. And the President's explanation for doing so and the constitutional lawyer explanation for doing so is that he didn't have any choice because the bill, even if you don't like its contents, is constitutional. Now Brian rang me just before 10 o'clock and he was saying well why didn't at least President Higgins refer it to the Council of State to see what they thought before he signed it and Brian felt that President Higgins should resign because he didn't do that. Morning PJ, what the government and the President have done sealing up the documents is a disgrace people have suffered enough this is the same old story hide it and it might go away I hope the people will go to a higher court. The government can't get away with this. It's disgraceful, says Liz. Tom Barry says Michael D carries huge respect in Ireland, but he's lost a bit of it with the stroke of a pen. That's from Tom. Very disappointed with the president, says this. What was the big rush with it? Maybe a younger Mr Higgins would be more up for the job. Shocking listening now. Maybe he should resign. How are poor people who are probably old going to get the money together to go to the courts these people are going to find it hard to even feed themselves this winter. They're the people we're talking about. People who are not going to private schools, the likes of that. People who are not also after getting the best of education. 1850 I popped it out to you. Did you think that the president should have either resigned rather than have to have to sign it? Or should he have at least referred it to the Council of State for their advice? even though they generally just advise on constitutional matters, but could he have done it anyway? The President had his own free will, says Jerry, to sign that bill into law or not to. The criminal negligence of the past should not be hushed up. 1850-715-996. Now, in our conversation there just a second ago with Mick Barry, we got to talking about some zero-hour contracts that he says have been issued to contact tracers. Just a report there in the Irish Times from a little while back, and the HSE came out to say that zero-hour contracts sent to the contact tracers uh, were issued in error. So if those are the contracts that Mick was referring to, there's some clarity there. So I missed that one, obviously. Thank you. Whichever one of the executive research desks is writing that on my screen. Thanks, guys. The HSE said a while back that those zero-hour contracts were issued in error. 
1850 A long conversation yesterday, or we played it on the show yesterday, with Dr. Niall Conroy in Australia about how they have managed to pretty much wipe out the virus in Queensland and many other parts of Australia. Now, they live in mortal fear of it raising its, its head again, which is why they have a very strong public health programme in, say, the state of Queensland, where Niall is, and he was telling me about that and how it compares to the the lack of investment and, and, and the lack of development and the, the lack of autonomy given to public health here. And that, that's just one element of the conversation. But we also were talking about quarantine and hotel quarantine. Australia are doing hotel quarantine. New Zealand are doing hotel quarantine. Many countries around the world are doing hotel quarantine, including China, where all of this started. God, it feels like a hundred years ago now. And early on in the discussion of the pandemic, I spoke to Dr. Paul O'Brien, who's from Cork, and he was involved in trying to get PPE trying to get supplies of PPE here to Ireland. And he was also involved in trying to get supplies of the testing reagent to Ireland. So he's an active guy. He moves a lot between Ireland and and China. And he's presently in China, in a hotel room in Shanghai, where he is quarantining before he can go back into Chinese society. So we caught up over the last couple of days. Paul, you're you're a very frequent visitor to China. In fact, you lived there for long periods of time. You, your your other half is is Chinese. When you arrived there this time, what was the procedure? I suppose we should start before we left Ireland. What what was the procedure? Okay, so the first procedure, I suppose, the first kind of gatekeeper is the fact that it's very difficult to actually get visas for most people at the moment for most foreigners. Um, basically, they're not issuing business visas. And if you're going to get a business visa, which is what the standard kind of, you're coming into the country to do some work, you'd be getting one of those type of visas. Um, You need to get a letter from either the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the province that you're going to. Um, That that would be the first thing. So uh, once you do get a visa, then the next thing is they'll issue you with a, um, a requirement that you get a a PCR test done and that you have a negative swab 72 hours before you board your plane. So once you get that negative swab, uh, you have to send that back to the Chinese embassy in Ireland. Um, They validate that and they issue with a health declaration form, which is just stamped by the embassy. So when you go to the um, ticket check-in in Dublin airport, uh, that's the first thing they ask you. They say, look, can we see your health declaration? Mm. So that, that's where, where the first kind of, I suppose, checkpoint is. Then once you're through security and you've gone through all that, um, the next thing is when you're boarding the plane. Um, the first thing they'll do, the, this is boarding the plane to China. Um, my flight would have been Dublin to Heathrow and then Heathrow to Pudong in Shanghai. Yeah. So before I got on that plane from Heathrow to Pudong, they actually they, they do a temperature check first. And then they make you sign up to this um, health application. Um, this health application actually piggybacks off an existing application called WeChat. It will be very similar to WhatsApp, except it's, it's got a lot more functionality. They have a lot of uh, cashless payments and kind of you're able to buy a lot of tickets and you're able to do a lot of like kind of tax stuff on it. But they've obviously expanded it now to include this kind of health passport thing. So that's, uh, it includes your kind of uh, contract tracing stuff, um, you know, where you're going to be going in the country, 
a, a point of contact for you. And then obviously because it's WeChat, it has um, geolocation synced into it all the time. So they know where you're going anyway, even if you don't tell them. So that, that's the, you, so you get on the plane. It's actually funny, PJ, when you're on the plane, if you look around you, you'll see like three to four people and they're in full PPE. And I, I, was, I was looking at them thinking it was a bit strange for passengers. I thought it was a bit overkill. But they're actually government officials. I, I think a few of them will go on uh, flights. I don't know if it's random or if it's a, if it's a process they're doing. But anyway, they um, are on the flight. And then at the end of flight, before you um, disembark, they check out your... Um, they go and they scan that QR code. They check your health declaration. And then they actually disinfect all the plane. How was the plane busy going over? It was. It was jammers, actually, surprisingly. Um, the whole... I, 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 they were trying to do social distancing, so they'd leave kind of one row bare in some places, but mostly it was, it was fairly, fairly packed. So you get there, you land, and there's another procedure. Yeah, exactly. So you get there, you land. Um, as soon as you get off the plane, then there's people waiting for you, um, and they kind of usher you to the next step, which is your first PCR test done on the mainland uh-huh. um, it's an amazing kind of the way they've done it they've done it they, they have a whole kind of I suppose you can only go one way is the way I put it and then the actual PCR testing is outdoors so they have it in a kind of ventilated prefab area and they have stations and I'd say there's about 30 stations with uh, I suppose uh, a medical technician taking the swab and then behind them directly you can see they have these um it, it, it's a vertically integrated platform. So with the PCR, there's usually three steps. You do the swabbing. They have the system. It's all integrated. So literally, it's just a cartridge. They put in the swab, and it just goes in like a cartridge, and it outputs the result in 90 minutes. So you get the swab and the result in the one place in an hour and a half. They don't tell you the result, but if you came up as a positive, yeah, you, you'd find out fairly lively you are positive. But if you're negative, basically, they're, they're going on the assumption you're negative. You go through, you'll get your bags, and then as soon as you... Um, go through your bag uh, to get your bag. They'll scan your uh, your code again. And as you go out, then you can see all the areas. So they say, if you're staying in Shanghai, there's kind of one pathway. If you're going to the different provinces, they have different pathways for each province. So I was staying in Shanghai, so I went over, and then there was another two officials waiting for me. They made, they made me scan out an, a whole new health application thing just for the city of um, Shanghai. And then they escorted me onto the bus the bus is like, I go, it, it's almost like something that's wrapped in cling film. It's ridiculous. They have a full uh, kind of uh, separation between the driver. The driver's in full PPE as well. And they just usher you off to the hotel. And when you get to the hotel, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Outbreak, PJ. Yes, I have. It, it's like something from a scene like that. So it's just, it, it's fully kind of draped with a lot of this, uh, I, I don't know, how, it, it's hard to describe it. It's just a, a full kind of covering on the outside anyway with kind of... Um, uh, it's like a big marquee tent over it. It's like the hotel's got its own PPE. Yeah, it's like that. You know, it's it's very well set up. So they bring you in, they scan all the things that you've gone through, and they pack you off to your room. And basically, that's the last. They literally close the door and they say, "Don't come out of this room for 14 days." And that's that's where it goes from there. Every day, then you have to take your own temperature. They give you a thermometer. You take your own temperature. You take a picture of the um, result that you get from the thermometer and you have to upload that onto the app plus kind of give your basic uh, vital statistics, say if you're sick or anything like that. And that has to be done every day. And then you get your three square meals and that's the whole process kind of from from start to finish. As we speak, you're still in that room and and you have a few days 
yet to go. The bit that I don't understand, Paul, is like I said, you've got a home to go to. Why can't you just go home? So there was, this was a quite complicated issue. So we, my wife would be from Anhui province and where we are now would be, I suppose, the best part of 800 kilometers. Uh, we actually staggered our flights and there was a bit of a mix up that I, I probably won't go into it now, but sure. basically Etihad had different, different requirements to um, the Chinese government. So they actually wouldn't let my wife fly on the first flight. So it turned out that we were separated anyway, and the government here wouldn't actually let us quarantine together because of that as well. So that was the main one of the main reasons we weren't able to go to uh, her house. And then I think purely because of the, the port we flew into, because we flew into Shanghai and her hometown was so far away that it, it wouldn't be feasible. Now, some people would say, Paul, you're a prisoner in that hotel and that this is an impressive way to do things. You, you clearly disagree. Well, look, I'm, I have the phone propped up against the window. I'm looking out and it's, it's, they're, they're fully open here in Shanghai. Like the, the, the streets are full, all the businesses are open. And as, as I was driving here through the streets, nobody's wearing masks. Um, so like you see old people in their 80s, you know, swanning around about the place, no masks on. So I'm, I think, look, in some ways you have to look at the, does the end justify the means? Um, it can look like overkill. Look, if, if I wanted to go, I could just send them a message and say I want to go home, but I'd be going to the airport and they'd be saying, look, it's our way or the highway kind of. So, yeah, look, I, I understand people's, um, I suppose, reservations about it, but at the same time, in six days, I'll be able to go out and travel the country freely. Um, and, you know, they've, they're, they're clearly doing dealing with these um, this COVID issue better than anyone else in the world, if, if you ask me. So, Who pays for your hotel stay then? I do. So it's a, I'm staying in a nice hotel. It's um, it's called the Bowlon, and my wife is in the Wyndham. So they're, they're big enough chain hotels. And I've actually got a suite. I'm up on the uh, 19th floor. So I've got like, it, it's the equivalent of like a small apartment in let's say Ireland, so I have a couch and a TV and everything, so it's not bad. And it's only, it's 500 RMB, which would be the equivalent of about, I suppose, 60, 68 euro, almost 70 euro, maybe around there. Per night, yeah? Per night, yeah. yeah okay. It's pricey enough, I guess, but I suppose it's the cost of, like you said, freedom at the end. Now, Leo Varadkar said, uh, when he was Taoiseach, and since, since he became Taoiseach, he's still saying it, that we could not do that here. You disagree, I think. I mean, look, um, in terms of the mechanism of doing it, it's, it's clearly feasible. I, I, I can look at the process from start to finish and there's nothing here that's not technically possible to do in Ireland. So that's point one. And then you have to look at point two, which I think there is some economic benefits to the way we do it um, here in China. And it's, if you look back in Ireland, one of the hardest hit sectors in Ireland is the hotel sector and the travel sector, everything, you know, tourism has been very badly hit. Over here in China, they're able to offset that um, even at the start in the lockdown when they were doing the quarantine mandatorily for uh, inward travel because they're able to have their hotels full of people coming in quarantining. So if we were to do the same in Ireland, we were able to designate hotels. They were able to get business and we're obviously able to keep out, uh, you know, people coming in and spreading infection amongst, you know, what, what essentially at Ireland... We're, we're, it's like having a hole in a boat and we're, you know, pushing that water and at the same time the water's coming in the other side. It's, it's, it's pointless unless we have some level of control of our borders. Because the government did rent out City West at, at great expense to the taxpayer, but they don't seem to put anybody into it. Yeah, I mean, 
again, I, I, I don't know exactly what the reason the government aren't pulling the trigger on this. I've, I, I, I have heard Leo Vragger, he said two things. He said that, first of all, you know, controlling the border doesn't work, and clearly it does. And again, if he's saying that, you know, having hotels doesn't work, it clearly does work as well, you know, um, you know hotels for quarantine, and I mean... The northern border is always cited as a reason why we couldn't do something like this in Ireland, that you couldn't have, the, you know, we've two jurisdictions on the one island and, and that it wouldn't work. Well, look, I always find that a, a bit of a sloppy answer. It doesn't work, but I would like to see a reason why it doesn't work, other than the political reasons given. I mean, look, there's, there's, uh, this is unprecedented times, you know. I'm sure everybody can understand that we're doing this for a particular reason, and I'm sure if, if someone was to bring up a, a plausible mechanism and, you know, if it's technically feasible to implement that mechanism for controlling the border, then I'm sure it could work, you know. And there's different ways of doing it. Um, like the, the Chinese, they have a health passport system. There's actually a guy I know, uh, Robert Cork, he owns a company, uh, Rocky Media in Ireland, and he's um, doing trials of a health passport system in Ireland at the moment. So... The, the the system is there in Ireland already, so it's just purely pulling the trigger on these things, even if it was a pilot project, to see if it's feasible. The, the point you made in your Twitter thread was that this is how they've done it in a country of 1.4 billion people, and they've got this virus under control now, and you're looking back at your, your home country here, 4.7 million in the Republic, 1.1 in the North, and you're asking the question... Well, why can't we do it at home? Yeah, and look, you, you, can, you don't even have to take the whole of China. You can look at the cities which have had, uh, you know, localised clusters since they've uh, opened up their lockdown. So they, let's say they formally fully opened up, let's say, in April. They've had two major clusters since then, one in Beijing and more recently in Qingdao. And both of those times, they've been able to control them very quickly. Um, so I think Beijing, if you take the whole population, it's probably close, you know, to 20 million. Qingdao is probably about 10 million. So both of them are orders of scale bigger than the population of Ireland and Northern Ireland put together. Um, so you, you, you can see even on a smaller scale in China, it's feasible. So we, we just have to be kind of looking at what systems they have and can we adapt them in Ireland? Because there are meaningful capacity differences between Ireland and China. But it's purely just about seeing what we have, what capacities are available in Ireland and adapting them to do, to, do, to do that. And the obvious question that I would have to ask you is, let's go back to Wuhan, where, where all this kicked off. And we heard of lockdown and we heard of, you know, nobody in the streets, a city of 10 million people completely deserted. What's life like now in, in Wuhan, you know? Funny enough, I have a colleague who's um, from Wuhan, so I'd have... Uh, good interaction from her telling me how it is over there. It's fully back to normal. Um, they've had no clusters, no outbreaks there. And they're very vigilant. They do fairly regular testing um, on a population-wide level. But in terms of uh, outbreaks and any changes or you know, um, lockdown measures, nothing since that has happened. Wow, that's, that's quite spectacular. So finally, Paul, I wish you well. I hope you're not dying of the boredom over there in the hotel room. What lessons do you think, finally, could, could we learn here? Anyone in a place of influence listening to our call, what can we learn? Look, that it is possible to control this thing um, and that we just have to kind of learn from the best is how I see it. You know, you, you, you look across the world and 
I, I, I see people mention South Korea and Taiwan and, um, you know, lots of different places around the world. And I, I think it's important that to look at those places and really extract what is the key uh, elements of their strategy that has worked and then implemented in Ireland. And I, I will say, look, it's, there, there are certain things we can't do, but there's definitely things we can do. All right, Paul, I wish you a safe end to the quarantine and a happy reunion with your wife. I can't wait, PJ. Just six more days now, I'll be out and uh, I, I'll send you on some pictures and stuff of uh, life over here where it's open and no lockdown. I'd love to see that. Thank you very much, Paul. No problem, PJ. Bye-bye. Nice chatting. Paul O'Brien talking to us from the 19th floor of a hotel in downtown Shanghai where he's quarantining mandatorily uh, by order of the Chinese government for another six days before he can go out and live free and easy in a country where they have, for the most part, eliminated this virus. If they can do it with 1.4 billion people, why can't we do it with 4.7 million? I'm getting very tired of all these people saying, you can't do that, because clearly the evidence around the world is that they're doing it. 1850-715-996. We got contacted... Coming back to coronavirus again, contacted by someone very concerned about her grandson's school. Um, and a positive test in the school. And of course, all of the kids in the class declared close contacts. And it's led to a turn of events. You don't intend to identify the school, and indeed we're not identifying yourself or the or the child involved. But it's is it your your son or your grandson? Good morning. It's my hi PJ. How are you? Hi. It's it's my son. Okay. My son. Yeah. So what happened? So last Monday at twelve thirty, we got a um, a text off the school to say that there was been a positive case identified in the class and that the HSC were after coming in and they were after deeming the whole class as close contacts. Right. And to come and get them straight away. So went to the school, took the kids out, and we were told that contact tracing would be in contact with us in the next few hours. So I panicked. I rang my GP. My GP sent me for a test. That was to be Tuesday at 6.30. So all day Monday now, didn't hear anything from the HSE. Um, so Tuesday, we got a text from the HSE to say that they were being close contacts and that they'll be on in due course. So I rang the helpline to say that I was asked to get a test off my GP. The woman that I got onto was just, she told me I had no right to get onto my own GP and that I should have waited for contact tracing. And you have no right to get onto it. No, I every no right. You can bring your GP if you have a pain in your toe. Exactly. I had no right to get onto my GP and to cancel the test that my GP was after setting up for me and wait for contact tracing. So I cancelled the test and waited. Wednesday came, still heard nothing from contact tracing. So I rang the helpline again, got onto a lovely woman, and she told me that the contact tracing was basically after collapsing and to get back onto my GP for my GP to send me for a test. So something that I was told I was totally wrong for doing on Tuesday was totally right to do on Wednesday. <laughs> so It gets got, worse though, doesn't it? It does, like, and got onto my GP anyway. My GP referred me for the test on Thursday. 
towards the end of the week then all the positive cases started coming back there was more than half the class positive the panic now like and I just felt like we were being kept in limbo the whole week so so you'd no test yet but all the class or half the class that come back positive so my son was asked getting the test on the Thursday and then like Thursday night Friday like into Saturday there was kind of like more cases coming back positive um, more than half the class were positive So, still heard nothing from contact tracing. It was only on Sunday night that Galway contact tracing rang us. Galway? Galway, yeah. They rang us Sunday night to say that the kids were being contact traced, that there was a case and they were going from Thursday, so the Thursday before the Monday was when they were in contact with the case. Yeah. And I was kind of like, but did you not know about the other cases? No. And she was like, no, what other cases? Telling them that there's oh, more no. cases in the class. So then she was like, oh, this is a totally different ball game now. But why, 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 why were you getting a phone call from Galway? I don't know. Did you ask? No, I didn't, to be honest. Yeah. I just, I was happy that someone was able to give me answers. Oh, I know, yeah, yeah. You know, but then they didn't know about the tests. Didn't no, know they the didn't results. know about the positive cases. Um, the HSC, that, the helpline that we were ringing here in Cork were saying that the kids that came back negative didn't need a second test. That they were telling half of us that they needed a second test, the other half that they didn't need a second test. So we just didn't know what was going on. There was no, like, we couldn't get answers out of anyone. And it was only when Galway rang us Sunday night that we were getting the answers. Right. So Galway asked us how long were the kids sitting in the classroom Monday morning, four and a half hours, and she she was like, so we, we have to go from Monday, we can't go from Thursday, it has to go from Monday because obviously there's so many positive cases in the class that we need to go from that Monday. Yeah. So then we were starting to get answers, they do need a second test, we set you up for a second test. Hold on, have you had the first test yet? Yeah, the first test was on Thursday. Okay, and that was clear, I take it, was it? That was, yeah, my good. son was negative, thank God. That's a good result. Um, but, yeah. there's, but there's kids there and they were positive, you know, and it's it's terrible, like. Um, and when we got on to Galway on Sunday night, they left, like, they set up the second test. Um, and then it was when we were getting answers, I just found any trust that I had in the HSC now is totally gone. What about the rest of you in the household? Did you have to restrict your movements? No, no. No. So my son was sent home from school on Monday. I was told I was able to go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't have other kids, but other siblings of kids in the class were left go to school. Yeah. Um, like, there was nothing for anyone in the house. It was just the child themselves had yeah. to restrict their movements. That'd be a section six. I have a table in front of me. Of all the different contact tracing procedures, and you, your son had no symptoms, obviously because he was negative. But he had no. no symptoms, but he was a close contact of a case, so yeah. he has to restrict his movements and be yeah. tested as required. But you're okay. So, so is he still at home now, or has he gone back, or will you be sending him no. back after the midterm? Well, I actually don't know what to do now. Like, I'm just, I don't like. It's very hard to have trust now because, like, of all this happening, you know. Yeah. Do you, Do you think he should get a second test, or will you be trying to get a second test for him? 
he got a second test. Galway set up the second test for him. Now, they rang Sunday and he was going for the second test on Monday. Right. So he was tested Thursday and tested Monday and that was clear as well. Yeah, that was all clear. Now, most of the kids in the class that tested positive have no symptoms. Right. Like, that's the scary part of it, you know. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, but I just feel the contact tracing left us down terribly the whole week. Like, you can imagine the pressure we were under, the worry, like, are they going to, do you know, like, are they going to be okay? Yeah. Like, what's going to happen next? You know, like, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, like, when contact tracing rang me Sunday night from Galway, she said to me, he more than likely is positive because of the close contact. Now, that was two, like, because he had the close contact on Thursday. Plus the number of close contacts he had on Monday sitting in the classroom. Yeah. So well, luckily he's he's negative, which is he's great. Negative. Now I think you're you're very quick to say, look, the school did their absolute best. Oh, they were brilliant. They were contacting us. They were contacting the HSE. You know, they were like they were brilliant. They really were. They really acted quickly on it. Um, but I just think the HSE was a total joke. The limbo we were left in all week, like. Yeah. I am going to be asking more maybe tomorrow on Friday of parents about what happens when uh, midterm break is over and everyone's due to go back next Monday because I know there's a lot of worry out there now seeing as we are gone into the, the restrictions, the level 5 yeah. restrictions whether whether some parents will, will send their kids back next week. Like are you prepared even, he's obviously had two tests and he's clear and I hope all of his friends are okay. Yeah. Uh, do you feel safe sending him back now next no. week? No. I don't, to be honest, PJ. I just don't think... I just don't think I could put a week down like I did last week. Yeah. Do you know? And, like, the school are brilliant. They sent home their books. They set up an app. They were able to, like, communicate with their friends. The teacher was able to give them work. We were able to do the work at home. And I'm, like, brilliant. But, like, I just don't think I could deal with the HSE the way I did last week. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are in your position will be coming back to it over the next couple of days. I'm glad he's well. I'm glad it's clear. And thank you for talking to us today. Thanks, PJ. Thanks for listening. No problem. It sounds like a complete mess. So it does. Thanks. 1850-715-996. And just not naming the school. And indeed, that lady hasn't even given us her name, which is fine because we know who they are. That's that. That's all grand. 1850-715-996. We think they're, yeah, they're sending some calls from areas with a heavy caseload, like Cork, for example, to less affected areas. That seems to be what's happening. We've not had that verified, but Galway would be... Have, have less of a, a caseload. So that's why Galway was given the information and asked to trace the Cork cases. But then Galway, when they rang her, didn't know about the other cases in his class. So something something isn't working. 1850-715-996. That's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine.